your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. For the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It depends on how a lot of other things play out over the next couple months leading into. So we'll see what our roster looks like, but both of those guys do a really nice job at second base. I mean, Gorman turns a really nice little play. Donnie, I mean, he's as steady as they get. I love, I trust both both of those guys to play second, so I'm not concerned with how that needs to play out. DH, Donnie could still give the guys a break in different positions, so... That was Ollie Marmel yesterday speaking to the media about what the plan is at second base for the team this year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I thought that was one of the more illuminating comments that we've heard from anybody associated with the Cardinals so far at the winter meetings. Let's hear the beginning of that T-bone, if you don't mind, one more time, because he was specifically asked about what his plan is at second base. And Alex, this question was asked. After he was directly asked, hey, is Tommy Edmond your starting center fielder? Yes. Are you planning to go with more of a stable infield? Yes. Are you planning on going with Lars Newbar and Jordan Walker in the outfield? Yes. Direct answers to all of the questions that were asked whenever the question was not specifically about second base. When asked, who's your starter at second base? He said again. It depends on how a lot of other things play out over the next couple months leading into so we'll see what our roster looks like but we'll see what our roster looks like Alex that is not done by accident I am not trying to do the thing where we read too much into some random comment this is not a random comment this is not reading too much into anything they have been very direct on what their roster is expected to look like on opening day. They've told you Dylan Carlson is going to be the fourth outfielder. Tommy Edmond is the starting short, uh, center fielder as long as Mason Wynn is our starting shortstop. We'll get into that here in just a minute. They have told you directly, openly, with naming his name, Tyler O'Neill is on the trade block right now. And then they get to second base and say, yeah, we're not sure. We're not sure what the roster is going to look like just yet. Which tells me, Alex, the Cardinals are legitimately considering a trade that would include one of Brendan Donovan or Nolan Gorman. What were your thoughts when you heard this? I mean, surprised because that is a pretty honest answer by not really saying much. He said everything that as much as John Mozeliak stated, what was that, a couple of days ago last week, that 
you know, they like their team right now, it sure sounds like one of those two second basemen are going to be moved at some point, or at least they're going to try very hard to move one of those guys. Now, maybe the other side doesn't give you the pieces that you feel is worth, but hearing Ollie say that and then realizing, like he also mentioned, where every other designated position is a clear cut, yep, that's that guy there. It tells you that there's still a little competition in the Cardinals' eyes of who's the starting second baseman. And if one's not the starting second baseman in their eyes, what role does he play on this team as an everyday player versus what can you bring this Cardinals team via trade, which seems like they're still very adamant about. What I don't want to find out is Nolan Gorman traded for a bullpen arm. Well, no, they're not going to do that. Well, they might. (laughs) They might. No. They might. No. Might be like, you know what? We There's really need zero ch- I, class A. It would be the single most shocking move in recent Cardinals memory if they trade Nolan Gorman for a bullpen arm. That's not happening. But he's under control. Okay. That's the important part. All right, I should just hit the off button on your <laughs> mic there. Uh, but I, it is an interesting comment because we all know that Gorman is probably their best. We kind of talked about this on Monday. He's probably their best trade ship if they wanted to use it at the winter meetings. Um and he's not a name that's popped up into the prior to these comments by Ollie and when we've heard from Mo, he's not a name that's popped into the, oh, yeah, we wouldn't trade him. You know, Newbar's name's popped into that conversation. Yep. Donovan's name's kind of been in there. Edmund's name's been in there. Gorman's never been in there, which I've never fully understood because I look at him and I say I definitely wouldn't trade him. So I think they are open to it. Now, I felt this was more of a tease than anything where I'm like, oh, oh boy, they might be able to go get something like a starting pitcher. But in reality, I think, ah, I don't know if they're going to go out there and win a bidding war for Cease. It's possible. We'll see. They seem more focused on bullpen arms, but maybe they're starting these conversations now here at the winter meetings with uh, Chris Getz trying to build up some momentum. But, I mean, hey, if they've got Nolan Gorman out there and he is a possible trade chip for Brendan Donovan, one or the other, then, yeah, they have a legitimate shot to go out there and get any starting pitcher that they – would like to go and acquire to add to the top of this rotation. That's my thinking is if you are willing to dangle one of Brendan Donovan or Nolan Gorman, probably Nolan Gorman, if we're just being candid about it, you can get something that is top shelf. Like you're talking about Dylan Cease. You're talking about Logan Gilbert. You're talking about one of the Marlins or yeah, Marlins or Mariners pitchers, whichever you prefer. You can go play in those waters if you're willing to go the route of trading Nolan Gorman. I would not. I wouldn't do it. And I understand that that means that I might not be able to go out there and acquire the legitimate number one starter that I'm looking for. I would try to find a different way. I would prefer them to go the Tyler Glass now, right? I've said that all along. You have to pay less in prospect currency or player currency while paying more when it comes to the money. Okay, find a way to shed salary elsewhere. Get creative. Do things like we just saw the Mariners do where they included a prospect in a trade in order to shed salary from the books. It sucks. You don't want to have to do it. But if you could include Steven Matz, for example, in one of these deals, do it. That eliminates $11 million from your books. If you can include Tyler O'Neill in a trade, that's a pure salary dump. Do it. That's $5.5 million that's being removed from your books. Boom. Now, by adding Tyler Glass now, you're only really adding $10 million in payroll because you've eliminated 15 from those other two guys. I like the idea of adding Dylan Cease. I love the idea of adding one of the Mariners starting pitchers. But the cost of doing so is exorbitant. And to me, 
I think you have a lineup right now that can compete with some of the best in Major League Baseball. I would like to build around that. Build around that and find a different way to add that starting pitcher that you're looking for. So I would not trade Nolan Gorman. I don't like what I'm hearing there when it comes to their second base. I'm with you, T-Bone. When I first started, I was like, ooh, let's think about the possibilities. And then I thought about it more, and I'm like, this is silly. No, just, just build around the two guys that you have at second base right now. Brendan Donovan can be your super utility guy. He moves around. He is the that piece, that chess piece on the board that can play a little bit of anywhere. And Nolan Gorman is the starting second baseman every single day, barring something unforeseen with this back issue reoccurring once again in 2024. That's how I would do it. That's how I prefer they go about it the rest of the offseason. See, I, I don't mind them exploring this if you're going to get somebody that is night and day better than Sonny Gray. If you're going to acquire that starting pitcher for one of these guys, I don't mind it because... As much as the the bullpen needs help, you can sign a couple of free agents in that area and try and make that better. But your rotation is stacked if you're able to accomplish that. And I understand your offense takes a step backwards. I'd lean more towards the Brennan Donovan over the Nolan Gorman in this trade. But I know if you want to get that picture that I just explained, it's Nolan Gorman. You never want to walk away from a left-handed young power bat like that. But I feel like the Cardinals have a lot of offense. They still need that guy that sets their rotation above the rest. Do they have the offense, though, if you trade Gorman? That, that, that I think, is the question for them is. And they've got, they've got on base. They've got a little bit of average. Do they have the left-handed power that you need to get through the playoffs if you trade Nolan Gorman? My, my answer to that personally, just from my own thought process, is, is a resounding no. I don't think you do. But do you feel that they would? I, I, and left-handed wise, probably not. I'm I'm optimistic that Lars Newbar can provide a little bit more pop than what he did last year if he's available for you all season. But I think you have the pop elsewhere and guys like Jordan Walker. I think you've got the pop obviously with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. But I I just as much as I want that left-handed bat, I also think your bullpen or your rotation needs that next level guy. And I'm not talking about a, a glass now who's coming in for one year. I'm talking about you're going to get somebody who's going to be here for the next three to five years. Yeah, the only way you're trading Gorman is if you're you're getting Gilbert. I mean, we can name some of the names. Yeah, it's Gilbert. Yeah. It's Cease. It's going down to the uh, Marlins who reportedly are listening on some of their pitchers, like. The guy that I would be interested in from the the Marlins is Lazardo. He would be the one that immediately pops for me in terms of the most interesting. Trade Gorman for that though. I think I'd I go think that's Donovan. What it would take. Oh, see, I think I would go Donovan that level with it, but I don't know if I would go Gorman to I, that. I wouldn't do Gorman. I would just not trade him. So, it, like any of these guys that we're talking about, if Donovan is the asking price, I think Donovan is one of your best. I think Donovan is a winning baseball player, and I think there are teams that need those guys and this is one of those teams and if you're trying to win at a really high level next year i don't want to trade brendan donovan man but if they're unwilling to go out there and sign the pitcher if they're unwilling to go out there and trade for tyler glass now i guess that's the asking price but personally for me i would just do the glass now thing i would i would try to trade alec burleson who's kind of duplicative compared duplicative replicated He's got the same skills as some of the other players that you already have on this roster. So I would move him as opposed to these other big time left-handed bats that we're talking about. Alex, when we talk about the defense though, and the alignment that they have, one of the biggest pieces that will play into this is Mason Wynn. And I don't think we've probably spent enough time talking about him heading into the offseason and how important he is to unlocking what everybody in St. Louis here really wants. People seem to really want the idea of Hey, it's a stable nine, right? 
You've got the same guys that are in that lineup every day. You know where they're going to be playing every day. And you just put the lineup card together. We want to get back to what it was under Mike Schilt, apparently, where everybody's got the same idea of where they're going to be playing and who's going to be hitting where. That's what we want. And that's what people prefer. Mason Wynn is the one that really unlocks that for you. Here was Ollie Marmol yesterday when speaking about Mason Wynn. I absolutely love Mason Wynn. This is a extreme competitor and he does not scare. Um, he, he got knocked around a little bit offensively and he handled it for his age, he handled it so well. When you have that type of competitive nature and you don't scare and you continue to just attack the way Mason does, uh, you have a good player on your hands. So Alex, the reason why I think he is so important is because if he's ready to go, if he hits better than he did last year, and man, these numbers in the big leagues were not good down the stretch. If he hits better than that and he appears to be ready for the big leagues, now you can put Tommy Edmond in center field. Lars Newbar is just settled in left field. You have the Brendan Donovan slash Nolan Gorman, if both are here on opening day, as your DH slash second base type of conversation. If you have an off day for somebody, Brendan Donovan's moving around the diamond. When that happens, you could put Contreras at DH and you can have have Herrera behind the plate. Everything fits into place if Mason Wynn is ready to be your shortstop. If he is not, if he does not appear to be ready for the big league riggers by opening day, now suddenly Tommy Edmond has to slip back down into shortstop. Now you're talking about maybe Dylan Carlson, maybe Lars Newbar playing in center field. If Carlson gets that opportunity and struggles offensively, now we're back to where we were at the beginning of last year, where you're moving pieces around in the outfield. Maybe Alec Burleson gets some opportunities out there. Maybe it's Brendan Donovan playing regularly out there in the outfield. And now suddenly your defense in the outfield has taken another step back. Mason Wynn is the key to unlocking the defensive ability that the Cardinals are looking for heading into 2024. He's everything. He's He makes everything for the Cardinals consistent because if not, you're pulling pieces away from other areas that exploit your weaknesses to fill that void. And last year, you at least had the fallback for Paul DeYoung to fall into when Mason Wynn wasn't ready and you were hoping he was. But even look at how that been, uh, affected the Cardinals to where then Tommy Edmond was moved to a second base spot and then you didn't really have the playing time there or you didn't have the guys like Gorman and Donovan in. You need Mason Wynn as your everyday shortstop next season. And frankly... As much as I know his bat needs to get to that next level for them, you can have one of those players in your lineup if he's not hitting well, if his defense is gold glove worthy, because now you don't have to worry about moving guys around. And if this offense is as good as they're making it out to be, I don't care if Mason Wynn hits ninth and hits 150 for you. Give me gold glove defense. Yeah, I, I, I can't see a scenario in which they say, man, we really need to have an offensive upgrade at shortstop to where we have to pull Wynn out of there. Because his glove, to your point, is what's going to allow everything else to kind of fall into place. Forget about the bat. It's more about the defense in itself. Mason Wynn is probably going to be a 220-230 hitter potentially in his career, and that's fine. Like, if he ends up being that, but he plays gold glove caliber defense at shortstop, I don't give a rat's you-know-what about what his offensive statistics look like. It's a matter of, is he playing gold glove defense up the middle and at probably the most important position defensively? And if the answer is yes, I don't care what the back of the baseball card says for me. So he would be the everyday shortstop for me then. If at the end of the season we're complaining because Mason Wynn hit 175, I'm going to pick seven other players that I'm complaining that their offense didn't come into play for. It's the Harrison Bader thing. Yeah. Well, Bader he needed to hit. Bader wasn't very good offensively. Yeah, because he had and to be fifth. The Cardinals asked him to be more than what he was capable of being. If he was just your nine-hole hitter every day and went out there and played gold glove defense every day in center field, we would have loved him. 
if that's what he was asked to be and he didn't need to be more for this team. That's why I'm keeping Nolan Gorman. Because having guys like Gorman and Newtbar and Walker and all of these other players that are in this lineup next year, that is what allows the pressure to be off of Mason Wynn, to be that nine-hole hitter, play with speed, play excellent defense every single day, and add a little bit of that energy and that competitive fire that Ollie Marmel clearly loves about him. If you can just get that out of him, I think you're fine. I agree with you guys. Just put him in there every day. And let's see what it looks like. And if it ends up being something where his confidence is shot because of how bad he is performing at the plate, okay, then we can talk about what we need to do. But otherwise, I think he's the guy that ends up needing to be the everyday shortstop for you. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to former NHL goalie Mike McKenna about what he's seeing right now from Jordan Bennington inside of the crease. We'll talk to Mike McKenna about that coming up here in just a little bit. But next, T-Bone is ready to be heard again. We'll hear why coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's Damask. He's got 22. He's got 24. Here's Damask. He's got 22. He's got 24. Damask unstoppable tonight. The back down. Wow. He's just making it look easy. 33. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, that's what it sounded like last night on ESPN as Illinois just took it to FAU. Ended up putting up, what was it, 90 points in that one, T-Bone? Yep, that's right. A good night overall by the Illini, and that's a really nice win. That's one of those resume-building kind of wins that you can get early in your non-conference schedule. T-Bone, your Illini have started out hot so far this season, and I remember... Where have I heard this before? What was it, a week ago, Alex, when T-Bone said, oh, I hate this team. I'm not interested in this Illini team. That's they can't not, pull me that's in. That's not true at all. He You're thinking of you team. in your Missouri Tigers. No, first of all, I would never say that about my Tigers. I've got my jacket on today. I've got my t-shirt on today. I'm ready to go. It's it's officially MIZ season for the basketball side of things. You hated this what team. A fraud. You can't get away from it. I'm not, I can pull the audio for you if you want. I can go back and go ahead and re-listen to some of what you said about this Good. Illini team. Do it, because you won't find what you just said. T-Bone, are you ready to be heard again? Are you ready to allow yourself to be, be vulnerable and let Hawkins pull you in? Let Shannon pull you in? Brad Underwood last night getting soaked with the water oh. after the game. Oh. <laughs> are you ready to let this team pull you back in? I think I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy man, man, back this in. Team. This is our year, fellas. I can just tell Shannon's a slasher. Domask is gonna go into the paint as well. What'd you call him? Domask? Huh. Domask. Huh. You need to pronounce pre- you, you need to pronounce that All name right. a little different. If you're gonna say you love this team and you're calling them this type we of gotta cruel call Domi or something. We gotta yeah. find a new Dommy nickname a. because what you just said did not sound like you were talking about yeah. the player. Damask. You were calling him a bad name. Or you enunciate the K at the end of it. Damask. <laughs> no, you guys just can't hear you old fellas <laughs> yeah, okay. in your thirties. Huh? Creaking bodies. Uh Very I true. I, I'm man. bought in. The, offensively, they look like a much better team than last year's. And I was skeptical of that early on. 
but Domask is going to the paint now and attacking. Um, he's a lot better play, a player. Man. Yeah, and they got him from uh, SIU Carbondale, so he he's a lot better than I That's was expecting. That's when you know he can play. Exactly. Uh, they so just Luke kicked you. the crap out of SLU, as we all just saw. So, uh, And then I like Goody as well. He's a pretty good player uh, for this squad. He played 23 minutes last night, just had three points, didn't do much offensively. The only guy that I don't like on the squad is Hawkins, and he tried to kill them last night too. So I, I'm bought in. I, I think this team's better than last year's squad. Terrence Shannon looks even better than he did a year ago. I'm he was in. great last night. And, and Domask was awesome again as well. Both those guys combined for 33 points. Or excuse me, ha- both had 33 points combining for 66 of the 98 points. That's a really big win because that FAU team is legit as well. Can I take you back to last year real quick, BK? Yeah, please. Because the uh, fighting Illini on December 6th, Took on number five Texas and beat them in overtime. Yeah. Kicked the crap out and of then, them too. And then we all know how the rest of the season to went be for fair, that team. They had also already lost a couple of games, in, and they uh, lost in to conference Mizzou game, in the Bragging Rights at game. That point as well. So I've been down this road before, Tebow. I think the difference no. between this year's team and last year's team is the defense, honestly. And when Brad Underwood has his best teams, think back to twenty twenty one. Unfortunately, they ran into a dominant Loyola of Chicago team. That was a completely unfair second-round matchup, but here we are. Yeah. Um, and Underwood got out coached. But. When they are at their best, they play excellent defense. And over the last few years, they've been good defensively. They have not been elite. So far this year, Illinois is 10th in the country in defensive efficiency. When they were at their best in 2021, they were 7th in defensive efficiency. If you can keep that up, If that is real and it's not just a product of them playing against a bunch of bad teams in the non-con slate, not named Marquette, Rutgers, and FAU, if it's real, this is a team that can go on more of a run than what we've seen in recent years because that is something they can rely on night to night. Their offense is going to be erratic. There will be nights where it just doesn't look right for them. But that defense is something you can lean on, and if you do that the, the way that they have so far this year, uh, that's that's a really big deal, man. That That is something that ends up changing the way that we look at them. I know last night they ended up giving up, whatever, 89 points to FAU. That team's going to do that against everybody. Yeah. FAU can score. But um, against some of these other teams on their schedule, that's that's what you're that, going to need. I am. That is one thing that I'll be curious to see if it translates once it gets to Big Ten play because I thought last night they got carved up. And, look, I get it. FAU's a really good team. But that's the kind of team that you're going to have to have a defensive performance. You're not going to outscore a lot of FAU quality teams 98 to 89. Like, you're just not going to be able to. And last night, I don't think they could have bought a stop. But they got some kind of late, but that was because the big man for FAU was in foul trouble. Otherwise, I think they win that game if it wasn't for, I can't remember what his name is. Golden, yeah, the center. If he doesn't get in foul trouble, I think Illinois loses that game last night. He dominated the interior. He he was awesome. And Illinois doesn't have a big guy that can compete with that. They've got danger, but he can't start for them they have to rely on Hawkins to be their big guy and that like that's just not a good combo because he's tiny compared to a lot of centers in the league so I I'm bought back in they may I'm gonna fall for it again I know we're gonna be dancing in March and then leaving after the first round but you know what I'm willing to take on that pain because last night was impressive Saturday's a big day for both programs Mizzou and Illinois Mizzou ends up playing against KU in that one huh? oh they got that <laughs> They're gonna get killed. They got keep, that. keep it within fifteen, man. If you keep it within fifteen, I'm feeling good about it. Uh, Illinois though has a huge game against Tennessee. Tennessee just had a really rough uh, night, rough go of it the other night uh, against. They've had a really tough schedule. Purdue, KU, North Carolina. You can't have a very a much more difficult schedule than that. That trio right there. Uh, that that's a big one for Illinois. Get another big non-con win and go into the the next three games where it's Mizzou. 
Tennessee, and who's their other one in that one in that stretch? T Bone, just Miz- Mizzou uh, and Tennessee. Those yeah. are the other two. Uh, Unless we consider Colgate really good. No, Mizzou has a trio though of KU, Seton Hall, and Illinois that will really determine largely how we feel about this team going into conference play. For T-Bone and Alex on BK, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. But next, Mike McKinney, he's a former NHL goalie. He's going to be on the call tonight for the Blues versus the Golden Knights. Want to get his thoughts on what he is seeing right now from one of the best goalies in the NHL. And yeah, I'm talking about Jordan Bennington. We'll talk to Mike McKinney about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In just a little bit, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys want to get any questions in, get them in now and we'll get to them coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, we've got some questions for Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie. He is going to be on the call tonight with Chris Kerber for the Blues versus the Vegas Golden Knights, and he joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Wanted to get your expertise coming off of what I think was one of Jordan Bennington's best games of his NHL career. What are you seeing from Benner in net right now that stands out to you? Well, first, great to be on with you guys, and absolutely, I agree. I think that uh, last night's game, or Tuesday night's game, was easily one of the best that I've seen out of Jordan Bennington, and I think that it's largely due to his puck tracking and his poise in the net. Um, he's connecting all the dots. And I would put this performance against Vegas in the last game up against what he did in Game 7, uh, 2019 Stanley Cup Finals, that entire series. Um, there's, there's a calmness to his game this year. And, and I think that he's feeding off his teammates. That he trusts them. He made some massive saves in the first period on odd man rushes against. And then from there, he managed the game really well didn't give up many rebounds, uh, and that's a hallmark to how he's playing with his teammates. When those shots come from outside in the zone, he's done a great job of gobbling them up, not allowing second chances, and he made some big-time saves early in that game to give the team some juice on the road. So, Mike, you mentioned the odd man rushes, and from a goaltender's perspective, you know, I've talked with plenty of them in the past that say, like, yeah, you know, you want that action early so you get a good feel for the game, but when we're talking about all of these odd man rushes that the Blues are letting up, do goaltenders thrive in those situations? <laughs> they're scary. On it, to be brutally honest, they're scary. Uh, when you see that many, that quantity, you know, you, you always feel like you can stop everything as a goalie. That's your mindset. Um, but the numbers aren't on your side when they're five or six at a time. So um, it's your job. You take care of it. Bennington did. If you're the Blues, you're thinking, man, we've got to manage the puck a little bit better, especially on zone entries, getting across the blue line with a purpose, setting up shop in the offensive zone. Because if you take out those turnovers that the Blues did give to the Vegas Golden Knights, especially early in Monday's game, it was a really clean, solid game for the St. Louis Blues against the top team in the West in the Golden Knights. And beating a team like that 2-1 to one in overtime, grinding it out, playing hard on the forecheck, that's a good side, and they've got to try to replicate that this evening. Mike, the Blues this year have not lost a game in which they scored first. And since the first week of the season, they have not won a game in which their opposition scored first. 
What do you see as the reason as to why that is taking place? Why can't the Blues seem to come back in these games so far this year? It's just, it's hard to fathom sometimes that you can go 12-0-0 scoring first. uh, And it almost flips in the opposite direction. Honestly, I don't have a reason. I know as an analyst, we're supposed to have a reason. Um, There's a mental aspect to it. You do have to have the juice to come back and fight. But the Blues have done that. They haven't been on the winning side. There's a part of me that thinks that I'd like to see the Blues go down and come from behind and win a game just to see how that would go for the psyche of the team and to break this this little bit of a curse they have going. I don't think it's any different than when you look at a player who hasn't scored in a while. At some point this year, the Blues will go down in a game. They will come back and win. And I would look at it. I would look to that as being a turning point for the season when they can start to find some more consistency. You want to be and not up and down. Tunnel. And there he's gone. <laughs> Tunnel. <laughs> he, he said he was driving and he was driving out to, uh, I think it was Darden Prairie, so he might have lost some signal, which which makes some sense. Yeah, so. you know how that goes. But, I mean, I so we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but to the point he's making there, at some point the Blues are going to have to show that ability, and it's going to have to be sooner rather than later because everybody else in the Central Division has put together win streaks. Nashville went on a streak that was six in a row. Minnesota's right now in a win streak that was 4-0. and Arizona's in a win streak that's 4-0. and Everybody around you, if you want to be one of these wildcard teams, you're going to have to win one of those wildcard spots, and you're only going to do that if you go on a winning streak. And they've got a good stretch right now to be able to take advantage of the schedule. Yes, Vegas is tonight. That's going to be tough. Everybody understands what Vegas is and what they've been so far this year. But the next two games, Columbus, Chicago, those are two teams that you should be able to take advantage of. Mike, we got you back on the line. Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, joining us here on the show. He's going to be on the call with Chris Kerber tonight. Blues versus the Vegas Golden Knights at Enterprise Center. Mike, we lost you about midway through there in your answer about the Blues uh, finding a way to maintain their leads, but also the struggles of, of working their way back into games. You were talking about how they need to find a way to do that just for uh, the mindset of the team. Yeah, and I apologize for those power lines in Chesterfield Valley. They really gave us a hard time there, fellas. But, uh, you know, I, I really do think that if the Blues can find a way at some point, they're going to go down in a game and come back and win at some point. And when that happens, you look to that to a turning point. You know, it's a resiliency, and it's just building consistency. If the Blues can come out and have the same energy consistently on a nightly basis, if they can have strong first periods, cut down on turnovers, they're going to start to win games in a row. And they're going to start to come from and be a team that's consistently hard to play against. So I think it's there. It's in them. This is what it needs to happen. It's like a player on a scoring streak that they haven't had a goal in a while. It's kind of the same way for the Blues um, and not coming from behind and winning just yet this year. Mike, final one for me, because from a goaltender's perspective, you always have the best seat in the house of what's taking place on the ice. Now, I know you're not on the ice with this Blues team, but seeing all of these odd man rushes that they're giving up, they weren't doing that in the first couple of weeks of the season, and now they've fallen back into the back-and-forth pond style of hockey. What leads to that? Uh, again, it's it's really managing the puck as you get to the far, to the offensive blue line. Um, it's how you manage it along the half walls in the offensive zone. And a team like Vegas, they create a lot of um, they create a lot of turnovers because they pressure so hard on the walls on the D. And they're a great team in transition. So that's one of the things that the Blues will face tonight is trying to limit that against a team that's really aggressive. 
Um, but the Blues, I think, are really just trying to find their balance between having aggressive forecheck, getting on pucks as fast as they can in the offensive zone, and also still at that same time making sure that they've got a really good third-man high that's a safety valve that protects against um, the rush going the other direction so they can shut it down. So, you know, there's still a learning curve to that, but you're also – we're in December now. So it's time to start limiting those. You want to enter the zone with the puck, keep it on your blade, um, and, and if you can't make it in with it or you don't want to force any place, it's okay to get a puck deep and go to work. He's Mike McKenna. You'll hear him on the call tonight with Chris Kerber. Blues versus the Golden Knights. Pre-game with Alex starting at 7 o'clock. Mike and Kerbs coming up at 8. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk with you again soon. Sounds good. See you down at, at the arena. See Absolutely. Mike. That's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie. Going to be on the call, as I said, tonight with Chris Kerber here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. It's managing the puck, and we talked about this yesterday, BK. When they don't do these east-west passes in the offensive zone where one player's on one side of the board, the other's on the other, and they're trying to go through three players to get the puck on the other guy's stick, that's when this team is successful. When they're going across the ice is when we're talking odd man rushes. And what he just said there, there's nothing wrong with putting the puck below the goal line and having two or three guys fighting for it. Maybe you don't even get a shot on goal, but you know what you do? You wear the other line down because you're forcing them to stay on the ice for 45, 50 seconds. Then they got to get a line shift just like your guys do. You're setting your team up to have success in waves rather than these one and dones. We'll get more into the blues coming up at the 12 o'clock hour. We'll also talk to David Kaplan. He's the host of Cap and Jay Hood up in uh, Chicago on the ESPN radio station up there. Want to get his thoughts on what the Cubs are going to do. Are they in? Are they out on Shohei Otani? We'll get into all of that with him and the heck are the Chicago White Sox trying to get back in return for Dylan Cease? We'll get into all of that with Cap coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. into questions and answers 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line let's start with this the news that t-bone just uh reported to the two of us alex according to john morosi of mlb.com which means it's true Shohei otani is expected to decide on his free agent destination before the end of the weekend <laughs> now he's not going to be in major league baseball because of John Morosi, he's saying, nope, now you all leaked it. I'm going back to Japan, and I'm not pitching in North America again. I did find it to be hilarious that there was legitimate backlash to what Dave Roberts had to say yesterday, where he said, yeah, we met with Shohei Otani. Of course they did. He's one of the teams that Shohei Otani is considering. Like, yeah, I would assume that you're meeting with the guy that you're potentially going to pay $500 million to. Nope. That is not even surprising. You can't but say it. Did you see what their general manager said? He said mm. there was a little bit of a miscommunication there. Dave probably shouldn't have said what he did. Yeah, Basically. We, we, we didn't meet with him. We talked yeah. about meeting with him. Wrist. He was like, ah, Dave, stop. Stop it. Because Shohei called up the, the GM and said, uh, I'm not coming to L.A. This is Me and so Dodger silly. aren't showing up. It's just silly, man. None of it needs to be this way. Such a waste of time to sit here and, like, 
backtrack because you don't want to talk about talking to a player because he's not going to sign That's there. absurd, man. This he- should be the best thing for baseball, and it's becoming the worst because Otani won't let it be publicized who he's meeting with. And, like, I mean, run your free agency however you want to. It's your thing. But I'm this secrecy dis- is, is just over the top, I'm man. starting to dislike Otani the longer this thing drags he's gonna, on. I think he's going to end up staying in the— in LA with the Angels. I do. I, I, I genuinely believe he's going to end up deciding to stick with what he knows because as we're seeing here, the dude really likes to control his own narrative for better or worse. He does not like talking to the media. He does not like being told what's to do or how to do it. He likes doing things his way. And in LA with the Angels, man, he gets to do everything his way. He controls when he pitches. He controls when he talks to the media. Like, it is very much Shohei Otani and the guys there. So I I think he's going to end up deciding, you know what? I know what this is like. I know they're going to kind of do what I want them to. And while it doesn't result in a whole lot of team success, I'm comfortable here. And I'll wait around for the team to get better while I'm here in L.A. Do you guys have a sense on where you think he's most likely to land at this point? I don't, but I really hope it's not the Angels because you're making this whole big spectacle of it and then you just end up going back to the team that you were with. Like, then why why even make this a spectacle? Just sign the damn contract during the season and move on with it already. I I think he's going to be a Blue Jay. I I think... That'd be fun. Now, like, the reason that he loves the Blue Jays is a bit odd to me, but I... They seem to have a. They just invested a hundred million dollar uh, baseball facility down in Florida. He loves baseball as much as anybody, maybe in the sport. And he, what's he do? He doesn't worry about stuff in the off season. He worries about baseball still. So, I think Toronto's the team that's going to getting him. I, I think they're going to sign him, and I. It is going to be a lot of fun because that lineup's going to be awesome. They've got the pitching to be able to. Um, support themselves while he recovers from whatever it is his elbow surgery is Tommy John or whatever else so I, I think Toronto makes the most sense I, about, I think it's where he goes you talk about the best media market for Shohei go to a Canadian media market they're going to treat you well especially in Toronto where you know not to be cruel but hockey dominates yeah. so you you want to fly under the radar go about that uh there is a little bit of a comment, I guess, not even necessarily news. Is Scott Mor- Boris talking to the media. Oh, I thought it was Morosi news. He uh, he talked to Tyler. He talked about Tyler O'Neill. Oh, who's what's his he client? Say, what's he say about the big, strong Canadian man? Quote: Tyler O'Neill was eighth in MVP voting. He has two Gold Gloves, thirty home runs. It's nice to know in the talent evaluation of the Cardinals that they have players who can reach higher than that. I don't know. Well, Scott. The Cardinals have at least three outfielders whose knees don't bother them when they're on turf. So I yeah, think that's good to enough. Play in Tampa yeah, Bay, knees don't helpful. bother them. His wrist yeah. hurts if the winds blow yeah. too hard. They've got the best ability availability. This is the part for me. It's like cool. Yeah, he was eighth in MVP and he hit thirty home runs. Yeah, one season. The other six seasons, he's played like thirty games and has been unavailable. I'm so <laughs> I'm been just good. So and looks like a backup outfielder. I'm so ready to be done with the Tyler O'Neill experience. Hey, if it makes you feel better. I do better. think he's going to go on to have success somewhere else, by the I, way. I just saw. This will probably really excite you. Nice. Jeff Jones just tweeted not too long ago, about five minutes ago. Great. Uh, that don't count out the Kansas City Royals among teams with interest in Tyler O'Neill. I have been told on the other side of things that they want nothing would to not do with him. that. <laughs> no. For what it's worth. Um, but <laughs> well, great. If the Royals don't even want uh, him, who will? The Pirates. I think I think they no. make so much sense. Can I give you a name that I think makes sense coming back in return? 
from O'Neal? Yeah. I, if you just Salvador said a, Perez. If you just said no, a bag of baseballs, I'd say yes. The Cubs? No, nah, he's going to the White Sox. Um, that'll. I mean, I, I would be surprised, and you heard it here first. I would be surprised if uh, Salvador makes, Perez is not on the White Sox on opening day. Of that makes zero sense. Put your journalism sense. hat on yeah. over there. I, wow. I'd be surprised by that. That makes um, zero sense. You're not gonna like his ERA when I say it. Oh God. Uh, Carlos Martinez. You got the first name correct. Carlos Hernandez. He's a six foot four, 255 pound reliever from the Kansas City Royals. He appeared in 67 games last year, pitched 70 innings, had a 5.3 ERA. He looks like Salvador Perez. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big dude. He throws 100 miles an hour and he has big time strikeout stuff. Now, Ooh. he walks too many batters, and he did not have a ton of success overall last season. If you didn't like this year, well, last year he had a 7-3 ERA. Yeah, the year prior was really bad. Um, he is a really interesting pitcher, and if you can unlock a couple of things, if you can, uh, what is it, the wiggle the knob. with the knobs, <laughs> you, you might be able to get something out of him. I'd rather fiddle of other knobs. Uh, he kind of reminds me of, like, the Luis Garcia experience, where... He comes in, you don't expect a whole lot out of him, but if you figure it out, if you unlock the potential that is in there somewhere, he could be a seventh or eighth inning guy by the end of the season for you. I, I would consider I mean, it. His I mean, average velo on his, fast, his fastball is 99 miles dude, per Dude, you could give I mean, me somebody who gives up a 99 ERA in a season for Tyler O'Neill and it'd be like, cool, let's see what you get out of him. At least I, I got a body in return. Yeah, at least I got somebody who could do something for my team because... I, I'm done with Tyler O'Neill, and I think the Cardinals are too. And frankly, I think Tyler's done with the Cardinals. Somebody said that might be the worst trade idea of all time, BK. Hey, at least I'm giving you something that what has some kind of substance. What does that individual think you're going to get for Tyler O'Neill? I mean, the alternative might be just some cash minor league prospect that has a 5% chance of ever contributing to the big league can, club. Can Carlos I, Hernandez will be in the big leagues next year in your bullpen. I can't tell you he's going to be great, but he's going to throw 99 miles per hour, and he might be able to help you. To be fair, I can't tell you... A bullpen arm in baseball that's going to be great exactly. this year. Can I look? Can I just get money for the international free agent market? Sure. That's Give me that. That's a better asset right now. True. True. I I would take pretty much anything. Yeah. Like I, I told you guys, I would have non-tendered him. It, so I would have just kept the $5.5 million available on the books for me. I, I've said this probably for a year plus now. Tyler O'Neill and that eighth MVP voting that Scott Boris loves to throw out there is the reason he's going to have a 10-year major league career. Everybody will look at that one season and go, we can make that work. We can wrap them knees and ice after games. They'll be fine. He'll hit 35 home runs in, uh, no, in Kansas City? No, no, he won't be healthy enough to hit 35 yeah, you home can't, runs. You can't hit 35 home runs if you only play 45 games. Yeah. Well, I guess technically you can, but Tyler O'Neill can't. Royals just traded another reliever to the Astros. Oh, well, there it goes. Is it Hernandez? No. Uh, Dylan Coleman. It's pretty good, actually. He had a terrible season, but pretty good. Astros buy low. I like it. It's fun. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, you give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely in a game that we like to play called More Likely to Happen. But next... The Cardinals are hoping to improve their bullpen, but it sure sounds like that's going to come via free agency instead of via trade. What does that mean for their starting pitching pursuits? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, I think right now would be bullpen. Um, you know, obviously we like what our bullpen looks like, but if we could add some depth to that, you think about 
again, the long season and how much you, you really churn through your bullpen. But having trying to find a more robust uh, you know, 7th, 8th, or ninth would be something that we'd be excited for. That was John Mosellock yesterday talking about how the Cardinals plan to improve and the way that they are expecting to do so is via the bullpen. They're still making a couple of additions, according to him, in that area. But how are they going to do it? Are they going free agency? Are they going to try to trade for guys? Are they going to Rule 5 draft? Is that something maybe they'll consider yes, later on good. this afternoon? John Mosellock was asked yesterday about that. Here's what he had to say on how they're going to go about improving their bullpen. You know, I think uh, we're going to look and see how we can do that via trade first. And if we don't get it that way, then we'll probably look uh, elsewhere. So it sounds like the uh, Cardinals did try to find a guy via the trade route. That has appeared to have failed. Uh, According to reports that came out yesterday, the Cardinals are now looking towards the free agency path to be able to go out there and acquire their reliever that they're going to get multiple of them probably uh, for the back end of their bullpen. Now, let's use these two names as placeholders for now, because I think they're kind of indicative of the type of talent they're going to be looking at and the cost that they're going to be looking at. Phil Mayton is one former Astros reliever. He's from Illinois. We've heard from all of the three guys that they've signed so far. One of the themes, they all wanted to be here. Well, this guy's from the area. Let's go down that route. What do you think, T-Bone? Two years, five five million apiece? Probably a little bit more than that, but yeah, somewhere in that range. Five to seven million dollars. Phil Mayton, mid-tier reliever. He's a perfectly reasonable guy. If he's throwing in the seventh inning for you, you feel fine about it. The other player that I would throw into this mix, Jordan Hicks. Three years, $30 million, somewhere into that range. Probably what you're going to have to pay for that back end of the bullpen type of a market. That's where it's been set so far. Five to seven million for the mid-tier, 10 to $12 million per year for the upper tier. You're looking at like 15 to $20 million spending on the bullpen going into next year. Alex, I think that takes you out of the Tyler Glass now market. I think it completely eliminates the Cardinals from going out there and spending any sort of significant money on whoever the pitcher is that they could potentially bring in as the front end starter. It doesn't take them out of the Dylan Cease market or the Logan Gilbert or any of the young starters from the Marlins. But I do think the trickle down effect of going free agency as opposed to the trade market is that you're probably now out of the Tyler Glass now market. And I personally do not like that. I don't mind it as long as you're still going to find a way to make the trade because I still think you need the starting pitcher. And if they're not exploring the trade routes, it's because they couldn't get anybody better than those names you just mentioned for a Tyler O'Neill or a Dylan Carlson. And that's why you're not seeing those guys in the trade conversations anymore. And it's why the Cardinals have shifted their focus to free agency, which makes sense. I'm, I'm in the minority. I don't know if I really want Jordan Hicks again. I think we've done that experiment, and I'd rather get somebody else for that money. But if you're out of the Tyler Glasnow thing, yeah, it sucks because it's probably the easiest that level starting pitcher to acquire via trade for the assets you're willing to give up. But it still gives you the opportunity to go out and get a Dylan C, somebody from the Seattle Mariners, somebody from the Marlins, if you're willing to pony up the price that it's going to cost. Yeah, I, I would go down that Phil Maton, someone in that ilk in that mid-tier that's going to be about 5 to $8 million on a yearly basis on a one, two-year deal. I'm kind of with Alex. I, I don't want to do a three, four-year deal for Jordan Hicks at $11 million because – I mean, he's only put it together for a full season once, and that was last year. And honestly, it took him half of a season to really figure things out, or at least the first month of the season to get things figured out. I I think the path best for the Cardinals, at least the way things are positioning, because I think you're right. If you're going to the free agent market, even if it's one or two bullpen arms, you're out on Tyler Glass now for his salary. I I think the best way that they're going to position themselves is going to be sign a Phil Maton-esque pitcher, 
push Steven Matz to the bullpen and go out and trade for a Dylan Cease. I because Mo continues to keep saying okay that, they, with that if it means trading Nolan Gorman. Uh, what I because do this is, is the thing well, is like it's yes I agree with you if I could just have Dylan Cease yes. I want to do that I, I see what you're yes but would I personally probably do that no but I think that's the route that they're kind of setting themselves to go down because I've heard Mo say I think he said it this past weekend um, on the Cardinals radio network you know they still could be exploring a swingman well I. I mean, I don't necessarily see the need for the swingman if you're going through the free agent market because you have a Zach Thompson, Matthew Libertor internally. And if you truly are open to the idea of dangling Nolan Gorman's name out there, well, you're getting a top-tier starter, which then comes in. And then I look at, okay, well, we've already signed two back-end guys. Michaelis isn't going to go to the pen. Well, who's the odd man out in this situation? It's Steven Matz. Whether you want to trade him or not, I mean, you just saw that Marco Gonzalez made, I think, $12 million this mm-hmm. year, and he's been flipped twice already this offseason. So... There's definitely would be a market for him, but I think you use him if you're going to go down this path and you make him that swing man or a high leverage reliever because he has come out of the pen before and he has been successful at doing it. So like if they want to go down this path and I'm going to hold Mo's hand and go with him, I would definitely go with the route of go sign a Phil Maton-esque, push Steven Match to the pen, and trade the Gorman for the Dylan Seeks. Of the players that are available on the bullpen market for you versus the players that are available for the starting pitching market. I would lean more towards the importance of still getting that next level starting pitcher versus adding one of these higher leverage arms available to you because I just don't think the names are sexy enough that makes your bullpen that much better. Whereas if I can get a cease or somebody from Seattle with one of these assets, my team looks a lot better going into the season than what they would with Phil Maton and Jordan Hicks and then saying, yep, here's our team. So there's a report that just came out from Bruce, uh, Bruce Levine who covers the Chicago White Sox up in Chicago about the asking price for Dylan Cease. Quote, the asking price for Sox pitcher Dylan Cease is very high, and it should be. There's two years of control. He's only on an $8 million contract. They asked the Reds for top prospects that included their top two pitching prospects and the number nine in 11 position prospects on their prospect list. Quote, the Sox will end up getting more as this market shakes out. If that were asked of the Cardinals, and this is difficult to do because not every organization views players equally and every organization's prospects are different, right? So I want to say that on the front end. But if we're just to go one for one, the comparison for the Cardinals would be something like Tink Hintz, TK Roby, Thomas Ajaycee, and Jonathan Mejia. Cool. Really? Yeah. I mean, am I getting Dylan Cease and am I... Well, here's the kicker, though. Am I certain the Cardinals will make sure they keep Dylan Cease? So here's the thing. I agree with you. If you're getting it for minor leaguers, I'm doing this deal. Hell yeah. If you can do this with prospect capital instead of major league players, it's going to hurt. Like, this hurts your minor league depth. You now have less over the next couple of years that's going to be on that aircraft carrier that is but available the next to couple you of years, I've got Cease... Gray, and that's it. <laughs> Most importantly, you've got Cease. Like, I now have the guy that I'm building around, the guy that I'm hoping Tink Kentz or TK Roby or Gordon Graceffo or any of those other pitchers in my minor league system, what I am hoping they become is what Dylan Cease already is. And yes, he's going to get expensive, and I'm going to have to lock him in for a long-term contract. That has to be the goal if you trade for yeah. him. But I'm I'm willing to bite that bullet, man. If this is what it takes, I'm doing it. 
I don't know that this would actually be the asking price from the Cardinals. Maybe because they want Nolan Gorman so badly, they say, hey, we want Nolan Gorman and Tinkentz and one other flyer prospect. So instead of it being a big package, it now becomes condensed, consolidated, and it's just a couple of players that they want from the Cardinals. But if they're willing to listen on a more prospect-laden, prospect-heavy return, this is the kind of thing where I would suddenly then get on the side with you, Alex, where I would say, okay, go get and go pay for what it's going to take to get the guy in Dylan Cease. Yeah, I, I, and I've always thought that it could be, go down this path of prospects because otherwise, it just for me, it never made sense to White Sox in acquiring a Nolan Gorman because they're about to enter a rebuild on a rebuild. So by the time Gorman gets close to free agency, all the prospects that you've now acquired are starting to reach that level as Gorman's about to leave. That's why I've always been skeptical if it would cost Gorman. I think I would be with you guys. Um, I, one part that would scare me about going this route is you do really deplete the top end of that Absolutely. pitching staff in the minor leagues. And though you are right that you've got uh, you then have Gray, um, Cease as your top two for years to come, which is a very good one-two punch. Where is that backfilling coming? Where is that backfilling coming through your minor league system? You'd really need McGreevy or Graceffo to really pan out, or Zach Thompson to go down to the minor leagues this year and continue to pitch well and then take a spot. Now, with that being said, to counter my own point, as you saw this offseason, you can go get backfiller guys for right. $10 million on one-year deals. overall pick that if you draft properly, you could refill one of those spots with this player you select. Yeah, and maybe it's for the best to just kind of start anew. You know, like maybe these guys are kind of a lost cause that have been in the system for the past couple of seasons where, hey, they lost their way. They went too far in the pitch-to-contact mold when everybody else in Major League Baseball was trying to find the swing-and-miss guys. And the Cardinals' lesson was basically learned with Michael McGreevy. Like, Michael McGreevy is a perfectly adequate starting pitcher if it's 2005. In 2005, he's probably in your rotation next year, honestly. They probably didn't sign Kyle Gibson. They're just saying, hey, Michael McGreevy, go out there. Throw 200 endings for us, and you'll give up a ton of contact. But, you know, it is what it is. It's fine. Now that's not the way the game is played anymore. The game has changed in such a way that Michael McGreevy is like the antithesis of what starting pitching should be for major league teams now. So I I think they learned because of the, it's hard to call a kid a mistake. Like McGreevy might end up becoming a perfectly adequate number five starter in major league baseball, but to take that guy in, in the first round, that is not the kind of return on investment that you're probably looking but that, for. This would be spot. my concern with that is now he becomes, he all of a sudden leapfrog, not leapfrogs, but really moves up in your organizational pitching depth chart because but you're you not don't expecting have, him to be an ace. You're expecting him to be a four or five for you because you got it, your first three spots locked in. And that's fair, but now you don't have any upside in You've your got system. Thompson. And you've got Liberator, and I, I know that we'll laugh at the idea of Liberator becoming anything more than he is currently, but it's still possible that he be, he could be a a three or four starter for you. And you've you've got a little donut hole in your your organization right now, where you've got guys that are like way on the lower levels, and you've got guys that are close to the big leagues, and you don't really have anything in the middle. If you make this kind of a deal, where and this is all hypothetical, right? Like the the chances of this happening are are incredibly low, obviously. But TK Roby is kind of the crown jewel. And Tinkens is the crown jewel. And if you trade both of those guys away, boom, you've got a big hole in the middle of your organization right now. That sucks. I don't care. But you also have a draft coming up. You have international signings that will be available to you next offseason. And you've got the front end of your rotation that's set for at least the next couple of seasons. If you have all of that in place right now, I will figure the rest out. That is on John Mosellock to make sure, hey, don't allow it to get as barren again in the future. 
Is it risky? Absolutely it's risky. You know what's more risky in my opinion? Trading Nolan Gorman. And if this is the alternative, this is the way that I could acquire that top-end starting pitcher without dealing Nolan Gorman from my big league roster, I would prefer it. I would prefer to deal with my prospects capital as opposed to my big league roster. So, um, again, this is all based on a report from Chicago, from Bruce Levine, talking about what it was asked for from the Reds and us trying to put together something that is similar from the Cardinals organization to what was asked from Cincinnati. I find it interesting that Jonathan India wasn't a part of that. Well, and that means Nolan Gorman doesn't have to be a part Potentially. of it. Potentially. And it might also just mean they love their prospects because the Reds have a very good farm system right now so it's possible that it is just say we have identified these four players as the four guys that we love from their system specifically and maybe the guy that they love from the cardinal system is nolan gorman that's also possible but in this theoretical world could be an interesting right, way if to I were Bob, i'd be going oh, his back is like a 40 year old you don't want that here let me tell you about jonathan mejia that's in our system Ooh, mejia. coming up in 15 minutes the blues have a chance tonight to finally capture some real momentum that they could carry into the next couple of games we'll get into that coming up at 12 30 david kaplan at 12 45 more likely to happen though coming up next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. BK, you made it seem like there was breaking news Gosh, there. Yeah, you ruined everything. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't do that right before my solo. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks. Otherwise, I'm, I'm so Kylie. low. 314 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. Alex told us right before we came back, before I rudely interrupted rudely. his solo, so that low. he's got a good one for us today. Alex, what do you got for more us? More likely to happen, boys. Dylan Cease wins a Cy Young or one of TK Roby or Tink Hens wins a Cy no, Young. This is an unfair, more likely to happen. How so? This is like when I heard Randy say, do you want to win or do you want to lose by spending money? I was like, what? Well, well, which I one do you want to do? I want to win. But I guess I have to answer Dylan C's because he's been here, done that. You guess. That. I don't know. I got two guys well, that you're to unwilling me, to part an, with. To me, because it's an unfair question. They've got, high, they've got high upside. You got two guys you're unwilling to part with like, for a guy who could win a Cy Young again. And one of them is 27 years old and had a 2.2 ERA in 2022. Yeah, the, the others, other two are complete unknowns see what that I did, might T-Bone? end up becoming something but, worthwhile. T-Bone, I it's unlikely you, both win. I pushed you to no. I didn't say both. I said one no, no, of. No, no, sorry. Unlikely, all three end up winning one. Oh, that's not the game. I know it's not the game. So I'll go more likely. Dylan C. So see what I did there? I just pushed him towards the the side of agreeing with me. Of yeah. you trade both of them to get Dylan Cease. Of course. Welcome to the game, T-Bone. Dude, you always traded prospects for stars. All right, what the hell was your breaking news you needed to talk about? That was it. My more likely to happen? Oh, no, my it wasn't even breaking news. I was just going to tell you guys the college football story. Um, oh, nobody cares about that. Johnny man. Wilson, the receiver for Florida State, has declared for the NFL draft, and he's going to skip the Orange Bowl. That's all I wanted to tell you. That's what you interrupted my woo-hoo-hoo-hoo yeah, for? big news. Jesus. Big news, man. Right. T-Bone, what do you got for us I'm today? I'm with you, man. Unbelievable. I can't believe you interrupted me. That's incredible. I would never interrupt you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More likely to happen. This outfield works out for the Yankees or it's a disaster and they don't have a center oh, fielder. <laughs> disaster. 
think the minus it was minus four defensive runs saved for Verdugo and like a minus 16 for one. I didn't realize Soto was so bad defensively. He's terrible. I thought he was like when they won what? the World Series with Washington, I thought he was like good. I, no, good is aggressive. He is at times passable. I didn't think he was a minus 16 defensive. The best guy defensively, according He's to their numbers. DH. The best guy to the numbers is Aaron Judge. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's center field. They they asked Aaron Boone earlier today who's going to play center field, and he said we're comfortable with uh, Aaron Judge out there. Yes, he's only playing fifty. What about Stanton? Where's Stanton falling in this? Uh, DH. <laughs> I mean, if we're being honest, the injured list. Whoa! Oh, Scott Boris ain't going to be happy why, with you. This is why we didn't get our guy Joel Wolf on because of that kind of comment. Yeah, he was a, a <laughs> oh, <yeah>. negative <laughs> sixteen, and <laughs> well. It's true. Man, I'm sweating. He said that the baseball world has heard enough from him. No, they have not, Joel. We need more. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say more likely this is a disaster. I, I, I'm not convinced that they're going to make the playoffs again next year. Like, I can I mean, see they them missing. a ton of questions. Well, they're, they're not they're worried pitching. about analytics, though. Well, maybe they should be. Um, because their pitching has a ton of question marks outside of Garrett Cole. Their outfield defense sucks. Um, and then we'll see what their offense looks like. I... I don't know what they're going to do. They they are a team that is trying to deny what feels like should be a retool. Um, and well, they can't. This is I, the thing. Exactly. Like, they, there's no way for them to retool this. They, they can't. They can't tear this down to the studs the way that other teams can because of all the contracts that they have available to them and so how you keep old building. they are, dude. They've got old veterans that are on long-term contracts. Sounds familiar. Um, that they, they can't really actually rebuild. They have to keep trying to invest in the club. I saw somebody tweet out earlier today that the Yankees outfield is going to be terrifying for pitchers, both their own and for opposing. I was thinking more for opposing than for their own. I don't think they're... Well, yeah. Terif- it's going to be terrifying yeah. for their pitchers when they're out there in the outfield. Could you imagine Aaron <laughs> Judge everything on the ground, going man. full speed for a fly ball where he's got to dive? He doesn't dive, right? He just says, ah, we're good. Judge is actually fairly he's good defender. He's a very good defender. The problem is when you have him in center field, he's yeah. more prone to getting hurt. Well, how, how many six foot seven center fielders are running around out there? I this up because there was a comment from John Mosaylock around the trade deadline two years ago where he said, hey, maybe he could play center field in regards to Jordan Walker. So I looked it up. It's like Winfield, and that's it. There's, I was going to say, there's no big men in like center field. Nobody that plays out there. Got to be agile size. enough. Like, Aaron Judge ain't diving for a ball in center field. Sure. Sure, he's going to be out for the next three months. Who, who cares about the record without Aaron Judge? You know, it's the whole reason. Yeah, they're a mess. They're an uh, absolute disaster. Russell, what do you got for us today? Oh, so uh, I was just going to say, Russell Dorsey says the Dodgers are also in heavily on Dylan Cease. Makes sense. That's the team that should probably go out there and get it. Also going for Shohei and Yamamoto. So they're so. connected. They're, they are <laughs> Big genuinely. Dogs and then the next one. I mean, they should get Dylan Cease and Yamamoto. That should be their offseason plan. And Shohei. Yeah. I mean, why not? Well, you got the money. Yeah. And assets to trade for one. Sorry, uh, T-Bone. More likely to happen. Uh, I forgot mine. Uh, more like. <laughs> oh, BK's getting angry. Look at him. You ready? Uh, let's see. More likely to happen. Cardinals trade for Dylan Cease. Or they add three bullpen arms. You'll get the BK gave up. The latter. They're, they're more likely to add three bullpen arms. No. One flyer that comes back in return for Tyler O'Neill and then signing two in free agency. I say Dylan C's. I Whoa. think you're putting yourself in a position to go get Dylan C's. I don't think you're going to get three bullpen arms. I think you'll get two. I didn't say they were good. 
Yeah. Well, we know they're not good. I, I would go more likely three bullpen arms and follow along in this formula. Rule five draft tonight. Sure. Sure. One Tyler free O'Neal. agent signing and then a trade of O'Neill or, you know, Carlson, whoever they want to trade. Still say Dylan sees. I'm still I'm still not putting right. a, I'm still not putting it past the idea that O'Neill's on this roster opening day. Oh, I think he will be. <laughs> when Mo says your name publicly, he would he would more likely just cut him than he would put him on the opening day roster. Yeah, Tyler O'Neill has you played know his final day. Daniel DeScalzo is going to be like, I think he's going to be a good player Stop for us. It. Let's keep him. 314-399-9646 service X line for more likely to happen. Guys, more likely the Blues go on a five-game win streak or a five-game losing streak? Uh, I'll say win streak because they have not put themselves in a position to go on that long of a losing streak. And you've got a a fairly winnable record or schedule right now. Like obviously tonight is going to be tough, but then you've got Columbus, you've got Chicago, and then you've got two Eastern conference games where the blues have been great against. And then you wrap it up against Dallas. So I'll say five game win streak. Are you going to go positive over there or no? Positive. Yeah. Okay. Then I'll go first. Uh, I'll say more likely a five game losing streak. Their defense just isn't good enough. Like yeah, you're right. Their defense is going to really struggle against Columbus and Ottawa. I mean, I wouldn't put Chicago. it past them. I wouldn't put it past them. Um, I don't think Nashville's a great team, and they gave up eight goals to them. So um, I, 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 I that mean, wasn't all on the defense. I don't think the offense is. I don't know if they have the offense to go on a five-game winning streak. They don't have a power play to help propel them to a five-game winning streak. I, I just look at this defense, and we talked about this on Monday. A lot of the numbers are very similar to last year. The only difference is your goaltending's playing at a elite level right now. Now, if they continue to allow all these shots and they continue to allow all these high danger chances at some point i think the dam might break maybe it won't but i think it might i would say it is more likely that they go on a five game losing streak and i'm not even saying they're missing the playoffs but i just think that is more likely than them winning five in a row we're in the midst of the five game winning streak it's going to start right now you just beat the vegas golden knights so number two is tonight you're gonna do it again tonight even if you don't, you're going to do it again tonight. And then it's going to continue with Columbus and Chicago. I, I think this is where you, you it's only gain four, some buddy. momentum. It's only four. Yeah, Detroit. Throw them yeah, because the they got Billy Huso. That'll be an easy win. Yeah, exactly. Is they Detroit on a back-to-back him. that night? Hopefully. Probably. Maybe. They are. They're back into the back-to-back. Both of them on is the road. Better for the first one against Dallas. The second They'll one against exhausted. I'm not sure that's better for the Blues. They'll be exhausted. The Blues will look at that They'll, and go, Holy hey. crap. Their schedule that week is brutal. Over the course of seven days, they will play five games. Ottawa at Dallas at St. Louis, home against Carolina, and then on the road against Philly. It's kind of this blue schedule right now. I mean, going back to the end of November, you were on the road for two. You come home for one. You're on the road for two. You come home for one, and then you're on the road for two. Yeah, but no back-to-backs. Well, they got a back-to-back this weekend. No, not yet. BK, you, oh yeah, who's you, our back-to-back you in no way, shape, or form will be able to stand up here and complain about the schedule because you always sit there and be like, well, the schedule doesn't matter. They no, play I, a lot. They're professional athletes. They should I, be able to show I up. I give you a little leeway on back-to-backs. Back-to-backs, I think, are a little tougher. I do. I, think I would the, agree with that. The, the idea whole... of the, we were on a four-game road trip, it was hard. No, come on, man. If you got a back-to-back, like, I'll give you a little leeway. It makes sense that you come out a little sluggish in the second night of a back-to-back or your legs give out by the end of the third period on the second night of a back-to-back. That, Flip that when they lose to Chicago. <laughs> that makes all the sense of the world to me. Now, this idea of the, the travel, though, sometimes I think that gets way overblown. And I know that there will be people that disagree with me, and that's fine. But I, I personally believe... Uh, we overstate that. Got stuff. some breaking news, boys. Do we? Actual breaking news? Well, it's, I mean, we knew it was coming, but breaking news in terms okay. of a title. Yadier Molina is officially hired. 
Cardinals announced that he has named the special assistant to the president of baseball operations. <laughs> he is Dwight Schrute to John Mosellock's Michael Scott. What? Does he get a does he get a, a a card that he uses as Is this the exact same title that Mike Schilt had with the Padres? I'm just asking. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know. Wasn't he isn't, roaming coordinator or something? Isn't Yachty's role what John, Joe McEwing's role is? I was going to say, did now, he just take Joe's job? Did Joe just get fired? <laughs> <laughs> is Joe just okay? moving him around the organization? No, okay. Joe has an office for like three days. They're like, hey, Joe, so you took your nameplate off. Here's the difference. You're over there now. Joe hey, why is the, you say Yachty? Joe is president of baseball operations special assistant. Yachty is the special assistant to the president of baseball operations. Very different roles. What? Very different roles. Are you looking up Mike Schilt's role I in am. San Diego? I think he was roaming minor league coordinator or something. He was hired by the San Diego Padres to serve in a player development role. And then he ended up just like making home in the dugout. And Bob Melvin was like, what the hell are you doing here? About <laughs> to take your job, Bob. That's, That's what good. I'm That's doing. kind of what Joe McHugh is going to do when Yachty shows up in his office. What are you doing here, Yachty? This is my office now, Joe. Special assistant to the baseball operations. Hmm. There you go. Congrats, Dwight. How do you think Ollie feels about this? Ollie? Well, he's not going to be here. He's going like, to probably do phone calls once a month with the team. I know. I don't think Ollie cares. Okay. I mean, if I'm Ollie, I got a lot of noise around me going into the season that if you focus too much on it, you're going to be gone before the trade deadline. No, you're right. Um, just find it interesting that this is the title that he's going to get, that he's going to be buddy-buddy with John Mosellock. Is he, though? Throughout the season. Loose term of buddy-buddy. He's going to be in Puerto Rico. More likely to be the manager of the Cardinals in 2025. Yachty. Don't even have to to put the other name in there. Ollie Marmel. Yachty. You could have said Daniel Descalzo or Ollie, and I would have said Daniel Descalzo. I I hope they do right by Ollie. It's just because you have a manager that doesn't dislike you. No, that's true. Well, he hasn't questioned much of his bullpen decision making yet. You know, well, he'll get there. Like when it's like a six run lead, when they go to they Phil, in the ninth. When they go to Phil Mate in the ninth, and he goes, "Why would you not go to your closer?" Oh. <laughs> See, this is the <laughs> tone that Mike Schilt doesn't like. What do you mean? There's been fear. This guy started Taylor Motter a lot last no, no, year. No, no, no. I'm talking about when it comes to the the bullpen decisions. The the lineup decisions we questioned a lot last year. The lineup I questioned was, his bullpen decision too a lot last year. That's on him. It's hey, Dusty Blake. We're bringing the infield in, so let's go to a ground ball pitcher and pull stuff. I disagreed with as well well this is why you have a special assistant to the president of baseball operations you call him up that phone in the dugout it's not to the bullpen it's to yachty in puerto rico how often do you think we'll see yachty around the around the probably team next year probably once a month at a homestand or maybe once every other month i think it'll be even less than that i think he'll be there for spring he'll be there all of spring seem like once in the first half once in the second half he's alex that's t-bone on bk coming up next the blues have a chance to finally capture some momentum starting tonight what t-bone just leaned into the mic Come on, man. Be a what professional happened? around here. BK didn't hear it. Can you make the playoffs while scoring fewer than three goals per game? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Case that you can next year on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T 
T-Bone on BK. Alex, I wonder what it's like to be a Cubs fan right now. You're in on everything, right? You've got the idea of, hey, maybe Shohei Otani's coming. Maybe Yamamoto's coming. Are we going to bring back Cody Bellinger? We got this great manager that's won really nothing of significance in Milwaukee, but everybody believes him to be one of the best managers in the game, so they're clearly going to be aggressive this offseason. Maybe Tyler Glass now. Maybe that's something they'll consider. And yet... All of this is very much a theoretical idea of what could happen this offseason. There was a report yesterday that the Cubs are, quote, out on Shohei Otani, end quote. Now, this did come from Bob Nightingale, and it has since been refuted a bit in Chicago, where people there are saying, hey, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. But Bob Nightingale's reporting that they're balking at the price of $500 million or more. Now, Alex, the reason why I'm skeptical of that report is not because of Bob Nightingale or anything that he's saying. How would you not know that it's going to cost you $500 million the moment that you enter the sweepstakes? Like, I understand why the Cardinals would balk at the price, but the Cardinals were never in on Shohei Otani. The Cubs were seemingly in on him, and now, according to this report, they're surprised that it's going to cost $500 million. That was always going to be the case for them. Uh, maybe they thought they'd get into this conversation and lowball Shohei because he's not pitching in the first year. I don't understand how that was going to even yeah, be a, a thought. I don't either, but there's a reason that you go into the conversations thinking you can get it for less than that. Or and it's, it's just not true. Okay. And other that also <laughs> I mean, other, maybe this came from another major league team that is like be, uh, of the belief that hey, they're, they're not going to actually sign him. They're you not going to sign Mo, Mo said this. This was a Mo. I don't know who it would have <laughs> been. Mo Bob Nightingale. It feels like one of those things where it's like, okay, somebody from the out, outside of the organization said, yeah, the, there's no way the Cubs are actually going to pay him $500 million. And then it was just reported as fact instead of it being like speculation. I don't think that the Cubs are going to land Shohei Otani. I also think it's kind of wild to believe that they were in on Shohei and didn't think that it was going to cost this amount when everybody, Alex, you, me, T-Bone, and our 10 best friends outside of this uh, room all understood what the asking price was going to be for Shohei. If you weren't willing to go 500 plus, you shouldn't have even been in the conversation. So I I, I tend to believe that they're, they're still in on it, even if I think that they're probably like fourth in the negotiations of the likelihood of where he's going to land. Yeah, which is why it makes more sense that they're going for some of these other guys where sure. it's been going after Glass now, going after Dylan Cease because you're going to get the cost-effective type of guys and maybe the the Yamamoto sweep, sweepstakes, although that seems like it's only the big fish that are the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Mets. But, um, yeah, it, it makes zero sense. If you wanted Shohei Otani, you knew what you were going to have to pay for Shohei Otani. But, again, maybe they went into it with low expectations and it just fired back at them. Uh, maybe. I, if they did, though, then that's... We've got to ask serious questions about what the direction is of the Cubs organization. If you went into this thinking you were going to be able to get Shohei Otani for less than the market value, dude, like, all right. (laughs) I don't know how that you thought that was going to work, but I I suppose that's one way that you can go about it. It's interesting times in Chicago with both the White Sox and the Chicago Cubs. Do you think they're shaking in their boots right now in Chicago, though, thinking about how they're going to have to go up against Lance Lynn, uh, Kyle Gibson, uh, Steven Matz and Miles Michaelis. For sure. I don't even think it's that. Times next year. I think it's now that the reports are that Yachty's back. Uh, wouldn't you be shaking in your boots knowing you're going up against the game planning of Yachty or Molina? And Descalso. Yeah. I mean, technically, these are guys that just crushed the Chicago Cubs for the longest time. That makes sense. I, I would be concerned. I would be legitimately concerned. How do you view the division right now, Alex? Like, if you're if you're a Cardinals individual and you're thinking about what the division is going to look like in 2024, how are you viewing it? I mean, I... 
it's tough because I don't know how it's going to play out still. I think Cincinnati and Chicago are still going to be very aggressive. But if you were to tell me today, like season starting today, the Cardinals would be the top team because really? I don't I don't think the Cubs have enough pitching and I don't think the Reds have enough pitching that can stand up throughout the season. That's going to change, though. If one or both of those teams upgrade the pitching staff, I would probably have at least one of them above the Cardinals as it stands right now. I think the Cardinals still need to do some improving in the bullpen, and I am still a little nervous about the front-end pitching for the Cardinals. Like You go into the season, and I, I just don't know that you have what it's going to take in the front-end of your rotation to really be a legitimate contender, and I just I have to believe that the Cubs are going to be aggressive this offseason. They had a great defense last year, and that really helped prop up some of their pitching and I think they're going to go out there and they're going to get, I don't know if it's going to be Yamamoto, but maybe they get Tyler Glass now if they miss out on both Shohei Otani and Yamamoto this offseason. Maybe they end up bringing back Cody Bellinger. Maybe they go out and make a trade for one of the position players that becomes available once some of these other moves are made by other teams. So as of today, if I'm projecting what the offseason is likely to go, I think it'll be probably the Cubs the Cardinals, and then the Reds. I think we've all got a little out over our skis on what the Reds are right now. They're an exciting, very fun young team, but they've still got a lot of improvements that need to take place there before I'm willing to buy in on them as a a real threat in the NL Central. I think if they can get a glass now or if they can get a cease, it becomes a lot more intriguing because I think their core of younger players, although they've got some more experience to get into their core of young players seems to be able to lead them on a big run. And that's a dangerous threat to have. And they've got the depth in their minor league systems that can step up if they need it to help where I don't, that's where the Cardinals fall floor uh, short. They've just got a lot of pitching questions right now. I I don't trust their pitching at all. And now we go out to the one-on-one ESPN hotline to talk in L central and specifically the Cubs with David Kaplan. You can hear him on, Cap and J Hood weekdays on ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. He's live from 7 to 10 a.m. You can also follow him on Twitter at the Cap Man. We always appreciate him joining us here on the show. Cap, how you doing today, man? I am doing awesome. Just waiting on my cubbies to start making some moves, man. And they're not getting no Tani, but I was never under the illusion that we so they're were. Out? Cool. They're out on Otani yeah. at this point. I mean, I'm not going to re- say that they're out because Jed Hoyer absolutely said yesterday to Bob Nightingale in some angry terms, don't be reporting that we're out because we're not out. And so, look, did I ever expect them to get Shohei Otani? I did not. I thought it was cool, chase him, but now pivot and go make some moves. You've got plenty of cap room in terms of the luxury tax line of 237 this year. You just spent $40 million on getting a top three manager now you got to give top three manager players. Cap, the, the bigger move that took place so far through winter meetings, which I'm assuming you and all of Chicago are shaking in your boots, is Yadier Molina back with the Cardinals in a special assistant role, right? Oh, my God. That's just going to end any hope that we have that's in right. the division. I so. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Exactly. And you better bring that sticky stuff like the ball could stick Whoa. the chest protector of Wilson Contreras. Hey, that, that that was different. That, that was, that was then. This is now. It's been outlawed since, and the, ball, the Cardinals Cap. don't do that anymore, Cap. It's totally different. You know different what now. I watched yesterday? And I, God's honest truth. Yesterday, I watched, just because it makes me laugh and it's on my phone, I heard my friend Dan McLaughlin, I hope Dan's doing okay, and Tim McCarver, Tommy Pham's got like a 30-foot leadoff at first. Don't worry, Tommy. He's not going to throw over there, and you hear 
McCarr would go, he just did. (laughs) (laughs) First, John Lester. That just makes me laugh. And then Javi Baez taking Lackey deep in the NLDS three-run homer. See you later, Cardinals. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen anymore, uh, Cap, because the Cardinals have solidified their rotation. They brought in Kyle Gibson. They brought in Lance Lynn. And I'm sure as a Cubs guy, that has you really concerned about this NL Central crown now. Yeah, you guys have really pushed all your chips all in. Although I do like the signing of Sonny Gray. But, oh, man, Gibson and Lance Lynn, are you guys trying to lead the league in home runs allowed? Hey, chill, chill. (laughs) And hits allowed, apparently. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So we'll see. It's a great rivalry. Look, the Cardinals have a great organization. They do. 11 championships. I've got one in my lifetime, and I think four all-time for the Cubs. That said, I think we are in the best position to take control of the division with number one rated farm system on multiple lists and a willingness to spend more money than anyone in the division, the best manager in the division, and we got Wrigley, baby, and people like to play there. So maybe Otani isn't all in on Chicago, but there are a lot of dudes that want to be here. All right, Cap, so what do you expect them to do? Like, what, what kinds of things do you think that they're still in on at this point in the offseason, if not Shohei Otani? I mean, I think they're kicking the tires on a Tyler Glass now and Isaac Paredes trade. We traded Isaac Paredes when he was like 17 years old. Uh, to Detroit in an Alex Avila, Justin Wilson deal back when we were in our window trying to win in uh, 17. And I think they're looking at that deal, but they don't want to have to give up five years of Christopher Morrell to make that happen. There's two for sure untouchables in our system. Cade Horton, who they think is a number one starter and is on the precipice of the big leagues. And then Pete Carr Armstrong, our number one prospect, who will probably be our opening day center fielder. Got to prove he can hit at the big league level, but he's a top 15, top 20 prospect on most any list. So that is the impediment to getting any type of a deal done. That's why they're not getting Juan Soto because they're not parting with what they don't want one year of Juan Soto for seven years of a number one starter. They just, that's a non-starter for them. And I completely agree with that. But there are plenty of guys out there, whether that's bringing back Cody Bellinger, whether that is going out and spending a ton of money to take on a bad contract like they did trading away Darvish a few years ago. They got someone to take all that money and gave up some middling prospects who may turn into lottery tickets, may not. That's where the Cubs are at right now. They have the ability to go be the financial heavyweight in the NL Central. So so with that being said, Cap, and I know that we were joking around about the Cardinals there at the beginning, but if if the Cubs, and, and I truly believe, are going to be that aggressive team, what other moves would make you as a Cubs fan be a little concerned about the Cardinals going into this season? I mean, if you had traded for Juan Soto, that would be a concern, no question, but he's going to go to the Yankees. Um, if you tell me you guys land Yamamoto, the starter from Japan, that both New York teams, the Cubs, the Dodgers, everybody's in there and you guys got him, that would make me concerned. Uh, those would be big-time, big-time moves. I don't see the Cardinals playing in the deepest end of the pool. That doesn't mean that that's the be-all, end-all. Tampa doesn't, and all they do is keep winning. So it's just... Man, us Cubs fans laughed at the ineptness of the Cardinals last year, and that 
will not continue because you're too good an organization. We're talking to David Kaplan here on 101 ESPN. You can hear him on ESPN 1000 weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. and follow him on Twitter at the Capman. David, one of the other we wanted to talk to you about was the White Sox because on the other side of town, I know you're a Cubs guy, but you certainly have your eye on the White Sox and what they're trying to accomplish. So give us a little bit of an idea. What are they trying to accomplish? I've heard rumors about them potentially trying to add Salvador Perez. They are potentially going to trade Dylan Cease, and those seem like they're two moves that go in opposite directions. What is their plan from what you understand? So Look, their plan, and there was a report from my friend Bruce Levine, who I think is as tapped in as anybody in Chicago baseball. Bruce has been doing this for a very, very long time. Bruce reported Jerry Reinsdorf met with the mayor of Nashville today. Now, did he meet with him because he wants to move to Nashville? I don't believe that. I truly do not believe that. Uh, It's a cute story that comes out of the winter meetings because they happen to be in Nashville, I think that they're going to take a significant step back at payroll. Um, I didn't understand elevating, and Chris Getz seems like a really good guy, but I did not understand. You fire Rick and Kenny, deservedly so. You're promoting the guy from the farm system who didn't produce any prospects? Like, they haven't done a good job in the farm system. Now, he'll tell you, well, I can only develop the guys that Rick and Kenny and their staff give me. Well, still, you you fail up into the GM job because Jerry doesn't want to go outside the organization. That that one I did not understand. I think they're going to take a significant step back. They're trying to change the culture in there. Pedro Grafal loses 101 games and he keeps his job. Seriously? Where we had guys not hustling to get to first, like – I, I don't know what they're doing, to be honest with you. What do you think they're going to want for Dylan Cease then? Are they looking for major league pieces, or do you think this is a situation where they're just trying to get back whatever they can get in prospect currency if they decide to deal him? They are looking for nearly ready major league players. Like if they, the Cubs aren't going to go get Dylan Cease because they'd have to pay that so called, you know, Chicago tax. You got to blow us away so they don't have to watch Dylan Cease pitch in a pennant race for the Cubs. And I understand that rationale to a degree, but they're going to ask for, if it was the Cubs, Cade Horton, our number one pitching prospect, who the Cubs think, as I said, is a one, not a three or a four or a five starter. They think he's an eventual number one starter. Okay, and then they want more than that. And from the Cardinals, they're going to ask for the same type deal where, yeah, you get Dylan Cease right now, but, Three years from now, you go, oh, we got to pay Dylan Cease how much money to keep him? And Boris is his agent, and Boris takes him to free agency, as he does with all his clients. And the Cardinals either pay way more than they want to pay, or now we're going to move on and we'll give him a qualifying offer. And then you look and you see two dudes that are starring for the White Sox that were at the top of your farm system. And unless you won with Dylan Cease, Trades like that don't make sense. Now, if you trade all that and you get them and the Cardinals win the World Series, nobody cares. It's like if the Bears pay whatever it costs in prospect capital in draft capital to go get a quarterback. Nobody cares that they traded all these picks for Mitch Trubisky if Mitch Trubisky is Patrick Mahomes. When he sucks, then everyone goes, what are you doing? Yeah. So that's the risk. 
Yeah, the Chiefs traded all those picks for Mahomes. It worked out all right. Um, it's it's turns we out had people Mahomes in KC are our, happy. In our fingers, right there, and didn't get it done. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty baffling. The, the Jaguars took Leonard uh, Fournette over him, so that that might be even worse. Honestly, final question. We'll get you out of here on this cap. Dylan Cease is he a number one starter in your mind? He's a two. He's got the stuff of a one. He, I call him the nibbler. That's what I nicknamed him. He. With that type of stuff, 99 miles an hour, a filthy breaking ball, I'm telling you a nose-to-toes curveball, I think there are times he nibbles too much, and all of a sudden you're like, dude, you're at 103 pitches in the fifth inning? What are you doing? Because he walks too many guys. And go back and look. You'll see all the walks. The walk numbers would scare the hell out of me. And he's a good guy. His teammates like him. He's a beekeeper, like he's eccentric. He's cool. He is. He's a cool guy. But, man, oh, man, if I had his type of stuff, here it is, baby. Good luck trying to hit it. But he doesn't always do that, and that would concern me. Factor in Scott Boris. Factor in two more years of control, and then he's probably walking to the biggest possible deal he can get. What do I have to give up? Oh, boy, I'm not sure I'd do it. Cap, you're the best. We appreciate the time as always, man. Best of luck to your Cubbies. We hope that they fail on every single possible free agent <laughs> pursuit that they're out there to acquire. Oh, yeah. I hope you guys never score another run in the history of your franchise. <laughs> Be well, my man. That's David Kaplan of uh, Cap and J-Hood on ESPN 1000. You can hear him up there weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. It's always a good time being able to catch up with him, get the Chicago perspective of uh, what this offseason has been so far. I think that, I mean, I, I still, and I know what he said about Dylan Cease, I still would make the trade of the hypothetical situation we threw out there because I would hope that the Cardinals are smart enough to try and lock him up. I know he's a Scott Boris client, but regardless, you, you find a way to get that one done and you trade a couple of guys away. If it's Tim Kentz, if it's TK Roby, you get a guy who I, he said is a number two. He's a nibbler. Fine by me. Nibble and whittle that, wiggle that knob to get to the top. Who was the name that came to mind for you as he was describing Dylan Cease? Did you have somebody that immediately came to your mind? No, no. I don't think I Jack Flaherty came to mind for me. I remember hearing Jim Edmonds on the call almost describing exactly what he was just discussing, where it's like, hey, man, you've got everything like just just trust your stuff. And Jack at the time was leaving the game a lot in like the fifth inning. He was going like five and a third, all that. And this was when Jack was pitching well. This is prior to the injuries really uh, derailing what he ended up becoming. But it what he was describing felt very much like Jack Flaherty prior to the injuries to me. Uh, Cardinals got the uh, relief pitcher in the rule five draft. Yes. Yep. Uh, Ryan Fernandez. He was with the Red Sox minor league system. Uh, six ERA last year for the triple A uh, Boston Red Sox. I mean, everybody in minor league baseball, keep this in mind, sucked last year but as a pitcher. 11 strikeouts per nine. Cool. Now I'm in. Yep. Sounds great. Um, that that sounds like a really compelling. 25 year old righty. 25 years old in triple A already. Okay. Wait. Or it's still rather. Well, I mean, it was like the the end of the season, I guess. He's he got was... some real strikeout stuff. Yeah. Okay. There you go. He had a 6.1 ERA in AAA last season, a 4.1 ERA overall. Um, sure. Doesn't know where it's going, but when it hits it, it's a strikeout. Yeah. Uh, he, he actually did 10. not walk very many. Yeah. He, he walked he, 10 he AAA. A pretty good walk rate. His problem was that he got hit around a lot. We can fix it. You know, Dusty tried to Fiddle fix with him. the knobs. Yeah. I kind of assumed they were going to do a rule five yeah, rule five sense. draft today.
We'll I'm here see for if it. this guy works out or not, but uh, why not? It's got why a not mustache. A shot? Yeah, it looks not good. good. Not a good one. Oh, it's really? there. Yeah, well, not a good one. Not very full. It's kind of like a... And I wish I could grow a mustache. Well, like yeah, this is a T-bone mustache. Yeah. I'd look good with that, though. Coming up next, let's talk a little bit more about the Cardinals going Rule 5 to get one of their relievers. And did the Cardinals have a clubhouse issue or not? T-bone would like to know the honest answer. Next, Journal 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The Major League portion of the Rule 5 draft, which I know all of you have been waiting on all day long. You've been waiting for the moment when it was announced is officially over. The Cardinals did not lose a player in that portion of the draft. They did, however, gain a player that is going to be added to their 40-man roster. His name is Ryan Fernandez. Alex, he played for the Red Sox minor league system previously. He's dealt with some injury issues. He does throw 96, 97 miles per hour. He's got some legit strike out stuff. He is a righty. He is now your newest St. Louis Cardinal. Bullpen fixed? Bullpen, I don't know if it's fixed, but at least you got a good piece. If there's one thing I'll have faith with the Cardinals in, it's finding the decent pitchers in the Rule 5 draft. King Rodriguez, look at him last year. Well, maybe not so much him, although the Cardinals do really believe that you know he was the reason that they were so bad last year. But we talked about this Monday. Matt Bowman had a lot of success with the early portion before Mike Matheny broke him. John Brebbia was another one. They've had success in the Rule 5 draft. So uh, I'll give the Cardinals credit, and he's got swing and miss stuff. If this would have been a contact hitter for the Rule 5 draft, I'd have been a lot lot more pissed off. This is one of those things like there is almost zero negative potential there for you like yeah take him whatever if it works out great and if not you you give him back yeah that's it you just literally offer him back to the team that had him previously and if they say now we're good then he goes free agency like that's it it's a super easy thing and i i've got no issues with trying to take an opera or take a chance on a guy that throws 96 97 miles an hour he apparently red Sox fans really liked him they thought he had a, a, some potential and he dealt with some injuries so he absolutely could be Wilking Rodriguez 2.0, or he could be the next Luis Garcia where he comes in and he starts out and it, maybe it goes a little up and down early on. And then he becomes a guy that you really trust in like the sixth or seventh inning. Either of those two scenarios is possible. Another scenario is that he doesn't even make the opening day roster and he never pitches for the Cardinals. So um, there's a lot, a wide range of outcomes on guys that are in the rule five draft. It's worth a flyer. And that's really what it is. It's, they're, they're taking a flyer on a guy. T-bone. One thing you wanted to discuss today was the Cardinals clubhouse issues, because at the end of the season, Ollie Marmol said, and I'm summarizing here, hey, we had some guys in there that put themselves before the team. We need to weed that out. Again, I'm summarizing, but that's more or less what his uh, message was to the media. Well, yesterday he was asked about the Cardinals clubhouse culture once again and how it's going to be improved by the three starters that they've added to the mix. He pushed back a little bit on the narrative that they had some terrible clubhouse culture last year. Here's what he had to say. The Cardinals have had a really good culture for a long time. Last year sucked from a performance standpoint, and when you're losing, nothing's fun. Okay, so I, I don't. What I don't want to do is also blow this up as like, oh, the culture was. A, that's that's far from reality. I mean, the conversations that were taking place towards the end of the year were unbelievable like I wish I could sit here and walk you through the Goldies and Donovan's and Eddie's and new bars I mean I can go down the list of what those it was incredible as to what this looks like moving forward and this offseason has been 
um, a lot of fun to jump on Zooms with these guys and, and start to talk through some of the expectations and accountability. And um, so it's not this... It's not this revamp of culture. You're adding some great personalities that knows what winning looks like, knows what accountability looks like, um, and they're great fits. But in no way is we're talking about a revamp. All right, my biggest issue with this whole thing is you don't get to say at the end of the season and go, you know, we kind of had a culture issue and we had to get guys that were winners and then walk that back and go, well, well, it wasn't that big a deal. It's either the clubhouse is an issue or it's not. There is no in-between in my mind. So was it an issue? It probably was because that was the first one that he said. And they're looking to improve it. That's why they sign guys old, old starting pitchers that have a little bit of grit that are going to get guys more accountable in the rotation and when it comes to pitching. There is no in-between in my opinion. I I was furious when I heard this comment from Ali Marmol yesterday because it's either an issue or it's not. You don't get to say it's an issue and then just boop, boop, boop and do damage control. No, I. if it's an issue, let's talk about it. Let's say it is and let's go out and repair it. And I think that's what they're trying to do. Don't say it's an issue and say, well, hey, wait, you guys, you guys took that the wrong way. No, I didn't. If it was a major issue, say it, address it and fix it for 2024. Uh, you stick to your guns. I mean, we talked about this with the, with the Blues last year. Like, yeah, it was a problem in the locker room, and they realized that there was a culture issue that they had to fix. And what did they do? They stuck to their guns, and they said, yeah, it's something we're trying to accomplish still. I, I don't understand the backtracking. I know it's trying to fix the PR. You don't want to go into the season with bad expectations. But honestly, just call a spade a spade. We had a couple of guys that didn't want to be here the last season, and now they're gone, and now we're focused on a new group of players. That's what this is. You had a couple of guys, probably Jack Flaherty, that wasn't happy with his use and where the team was, you had probably a couple of guys who were still there that weren't happy about the way that the front office managed a roster, and they were pissed about it. So we're going into a new season. Those pieces are gone. The bad eggs are out of the room, and now we're focused on back to winning. But don't back it and be like, well, yeah, well, it really wasn't. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. No, you were 71-win team last year. Blow it out of proportion. Yeah, I, I think it was twofold. One, the loss is really piled up, and that ended up like – I think Nolan Arenado, based on everything that we have been told, heard, seen, everything, like he had a bad attitude about it. I don't blame him, man. It sucks losing the way that they did last year. And Nolan didn't have a good season himself either, especially on the defensive side of things. So, yeah, he was in a bad mood. He was pouting. He didn't love the fact that the team sucked last year and there was not a whole lot that he could do about it or that he felt he could do about it. And therefore... He didn't have a whole lot of fun playing through that season. Uh, you look to the outfield. Tyler O'Neill just flat out said, like, yeah, I can't play today because my knees hurt. And his knees didn't actually hurt. It was a preventative thing. That ain't the type of guy that you want around your clubhouse. Just like point blank period. I wouldn't bring that dude back. I told you guys I would have non-tendered him to just prove a point as much as anything else. You can't have that guy around. If you go out in Tampa, like you should have cut him at that moment in time. Hey, you don't want to play because we're in Tampa and we're on turf? Then get out. Go. Fine. We'll put you on the 60-day uh, IL, whatever you want to do. Like, get out of here. We don't need you around here because that is not the kind of mindset that we want on this team. Meanwhile, you've got guys like Brendan Donovan that while the team was losing, they sucked. They knew they were going to be trading, selling off assets at the deadline. This dude's going out there with half of an arm, and he's DHing and performing like one of the best players in Major League Baseball. Why do I not want to trade that guy? Because of that, man. That is the kind of player that I want around my clubhouse. And it's why they went out and got Lance Lynn. 
to hold guys accountable. They got Sonny Gray because as you hear him at his introductory press conference, you can feel the excitement about going out there and pitching every day. The dude loves baseball and there's value and having a bunch of dudes in the clubhouse. I don't think enough fans realize this. Not every player that plays baseball at the major league level loves baseball. A lot of them do it because they're really good at it. Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, those dudes love just talking ball. I heard Kyle Gibson on with the morning show, I think it was last week, and they asked him about, like, hey, do you do you want to do some stuff weekly? He's like, dude, I just, I love talking ball. You guys want to call me? I'm always happy to come on and talk a little bit about baseball. Sonny Gray's the same way. He's always willing to talk ball with you. Those are the kinds of people that they want to add to this clubhouse, that they want to add to the culture of the Cardinals. So I'm, I actually kind of agree with you, T-Bone. I think there were obvious explanations as to why it happened the way that it did last year. I don't think it represents poorly upon anybody necessarily, but they needed to weed out some of the guys from inside of that clubhouse. They needed to add other types of mentalities and personalities into the mix, just the way Alex, as you said, the blues did the blues needed to bring in a guy like Oscar Sundquist to lighten the mood a little bit. It gets stale in there sometimes. And I think that's something that they needed. So I do think they had a clubhouse issue. I don't know that they had a culture issue i think those two things can be a little different the culture i think is still cardinals baseball the clubhouse was rotten last year and i think that that would be the way that i would kind of differentiate between the two things yeah i i guess i to me it's it's either it's an issue and you have to address it and if you're going to say it publicly originally stick to it stick to it and say it and i think this was ollie kind of backtracking and trying to kind of protect himself a little bit because sure. what is something it doesn't that, reflect well on the manager if the if the culture of the team the culture of the organization has gone wrong and if you're the one who brings it up too because he was the one who brought it up back in whatever that was early october late september whatever that final series was he brings it up and what's something that the fan base is going to hold on to is well if they start losing next year it's got to be the it's got to be culture it's got to be sure. the clubhouse why because Ali Marmol's brought it up before and it's not there and he still had the O'Neill thing that it, whether you were agree or disagreed when he called out O'Neill early on in the season so i i don't know it just is it the culture probably not because i think there's still winning baseball players in there i know a lot of fans will say there's not because they haven't won anything meaningful that i just disagree with that um but i i think if you had a bad clubhouse it's okay to say it and just let it be and then let the front office and you coordinate together and go fix it which they're doing i just don't like the fact that you're trying to backtrack on it and i'll go well if you heard me and goldie having conversation yeah i bet those were fun okay but there was a clubhouse issue and probably bland a lot of excitement in those conversations, I would imagine. I think Goldie smiled. He's Alex Ferrari. <laughs> that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Alex, it is time. It's time for you to put your game face on because it's our latest edition of the Major League Baseball offseason. Two days in two weeks. Roundup! Yeah! Here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. My cowboy I did too, man. We're, we're oh behind over here. We're talking about how Bryce Harper is asking for a contract extension uh, from the Philadelphia Phillies. If you're wondering, wow, that seems early. Didn't he just sign a 13-year deal a little while ago? Yeah, you're correct. He's got eight years left on that deal. $26 oh, wow. million on a per-year basis. But he, he would must. like to be paid a little bit more he money have an opt-out, right? on an average annual basis. He does not have an opt-out. Oh. But his agent... Scott Boris said to the media today, hey, look at what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. We would like something similar for Bryce Harper. Guys, I would play hardball. 
I love Bryce Harper. He's one of my favorite baseball players. I always feel like he got a little bit of the short end of the stick because people expected him to be like Babe Ruth 2.0 and he was, you know, just a Hall of Fame player. I would not give him more money because you signed the contract. So I, you've got eight years left. We'll go ahead and keep play, paying you what we are currently paying you to be on the Phillies for the next eight years. And I like the way that it, they framed it because they framed it like, oh, Bryce Harper's such a good guy. He wants to be a Philly for the rest of his career. But yeah, this is, yeah, I want more money. Raise. I want more money. You're not paying me enough to lead Phillies every single season. Yeah, I wouldn't do it either. I wouldn't. I Granted, I'm also the guy that wouldn't trade any of these stars <laughs> in the NBA that won out all the time. So I must just be one of the worst general managers there is. But no, I, I would keep him at the salary he's at. And because it is, what'd you say, $28 million? And that thing's going to look like, I mean, it already looks like a steal right now. Imagine five years from now when he's still making $28 million. It's going to be a steal for the Phillies. I would negotiate a contract extension. And it's not like when that contract's up, he's going to be in his early 30s. No, he's going to be in his late 30s. He may retire when this deal is over. Let's continue with our Major League Baseball offseason. Round up! Yeah! The Cardinals have selected two more players in the Rule 5 draft, both middle infielders, which I find to be interesting. Uh, what's that tell oh, you? Now you're tinfoiling again. John Frank Salazar also coming over from Boston. And then Miguel Villarreal from Texas with their second AAA Rule 5 pick. So two guys, middle infielders at the AAA level for the Cardinals via the Rule 5 draft. All right. So Thomas and JC, see ya. The Cardinals have been accumulating a whole lot of middle infield depth over the past three months now, four months now. Why would they do that? Tie it in with Ali's con- do that? Con- uh, conversation because talking about we don't know what second base is going to look like. Gorman's back is weaker than my grandpa's. That's why. Time to the trade Cardinals him. sure seem to be doing a lot of the things that you would do if you were thinking about trading Nolan Gorman or Donovan for a starting level pitcher. I don't know. Just find that to be interesting, something worth keeping an eye on. So that is the latest when it comes to the Rule 5 draft. Alex, let's continue with our Major League Baseball offseason. Give me some more time in between. Round of... Ah! You can really feel it. Today. It sure sounds like the Yankees and the Padres are going to finalize this Juan Soto deal. According to John Heyman, King and Thorpe, two top-level prospects from the Yankees, are expected to go in return to San Diego. Alex, what do you think about Juan Soto in New York? I mean, originally I was like, man, that's what you're going to get if you're San Diego, but those are pretty decent players to get back. One of them's already an established pitcher. The other one's top prospect. Um, and you're trading away Juan Soto for everything you gave up. But... You weren't going to resign Soto. Soto obviously didn't very help you as much as you needed him to. So this is a pretty good return for a guy that's going to be a UFA after this season. And the Yankees now have to deal with the soap opera that is, are we going to be able to keep him? Is he going to go to free agency? Can we pay the money for him? So I think this is a good move for San Diego. Yankees need help, but they need more help defensively. Yeah, I, I mean, their outfield defense. Woo, partner. That is going to be ugly. Swing uh, me around and around. They will be swinging <laughs> yeah. you around. Uh, yeah, those fly balls. Those pitchers be swinging around around wa- turning around <laughs> watching the ball land um <laughs> pointing up in the air please what help um i i don't mind the move to the yankees because as you said earlier when we you were, gotta do it Let's you have honest. to do you it have to do it you can't really retool or rebuild because of the contracts that you're in did you help your offense yeah you did bringing in Juan soto and he's a one-year rental like if this doesn't work out you're bad again next year 
Okay, then you just let him walk in free agency, get that nice little draft pick that comes by attaching the qualifying offer to him. I I think it's a smart move by the Yankees. You have to do it. Go out there, see if you improve the offense. Best case scenario, you get back in the playoffs. Worst case scenario, you're getting a draft pick for him and you don't re-sign him. All right, let's continue with some quick hitters edition of the Major League Baseball offseason. Round up! <laughs> Free agent left-handed pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez is down to two teams. He's expected to have a decision by tomorrow, according to John Ooh. Heyman. Where do you guys think that Eduardo Rodriguez ends up? I, I have no idea. I've not seen a single yeah. report about who he's interested I, in. I, not a single one. All I've seen is like he wants to stay in the Midwest. That's all I've seen. I so the Cubs even Cincinnati. Reds then would be my guess. Or the yeah. Cubs. Who was the other one you said? He said Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati. Oh, okay. I, I thought, said the Cubs. I could see the Cubs doing sense. this. Especially if you want to put him behind one of these top guys you either acquire or trade for it. Yeah, this would, that would make sense for the Cubs. Next thing up, uh, Mets owner Steve Cohen recently went over to Japan to meet with Yamamoto. He was uh, flanked by their general manager, David Stearns. Guys, do you think that Yamamoto ends up in New York with the Mets? No, I think it'll be the Yankees. I think the Mets are trying to do everything they can right now because they know the Yankees are probably the team he wants to go to, and you're trying to sell him on this part of New York, not that part of New York. I think he's going to be a Yankee. I think he'll be I think he'll be a Yankee too, but I I'm not gonna discount the Mets. I think the Yankees and Mets are just bidding against themselves right now. That Jason Stark had a good piece today about he could be a three hundred million dollar pitcher. Yeah, it's probably because Steve Cohen and the Mets Mets are going against the New York Yankees. I rarely like, see these two teams going up against each other in yeah. a bidding war, but this is one of the rare opportunities to do so. I still think he ends up with the Dodgers. Craig Kimbrell is nearing a deal with the Baltimore Orioles. Would you guys have been interested in Craig Kimbrell? What was his the number? That I've not seen. At. What was it? I saw four and a half million dollars was the Luis Garcia deal, and I know T Bone was interested in that one. I've not seen what the specific dollar figure is for Craig. I Kimbrough. mean, I would have done this. Uh, it's depending on what the number is. Like, if we're talking ten or more million dollars, probably not. But I'm thinking it might be less than ten for his age. But he's a guy that has swing and miss stuff, and I think that could have benefited. If you're telling me I could have gotten him or Phil Maton, I probably would have done Craig Kimbrell because of the upside. And the price, but again, the price is the important part with this. Let's say it's ten million bucks. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done ten million. I probably would have tried to do less. It's a one-year deal at ten mil, so like, I get it limits your flexibility for the rest of this offseason. But Craig Kimbrell's a legitimately good bullpen arm. Like he can come in and not just fall into the sixth, seventh inning role. He could take the closer's job if Helsley goes down or if Helsley has a bad year. Like. I, I would have been interested on this deal, and I still love had, the Luis Garcia deal. Oh, my God, I would have signed him to that contract. Kimbrell still had 12.9 strike, strikeouts per nine innings last year. Oh, yeah, when when Kimbrell was good, he yeah. was really good. But the problem is when Kimbrell is bad, it takes him a while to get back on track. And uh, for that reason, $10 million bucks, I probably would have done it, but I would have had to think. Like, would you rather have Kimbrell or, on a one-year deal or Jordan Hicks on a three-year deal? Oh, Kimbrell on a one-year. I'd one do year. with Kimbrell on a one-year deal in a heartbeat. That's probably the yeah. type of decision that the Cardinals are going to end up having to oh, make. They oh, opted Sammy, to go the other way. They chose the Hicks one? Oh, Crap. Come Alex Debone on BK. Crap. That's the latest edition of our Major League Baseball offseason. Round of Chris Kerber next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi electric elite contractor.
T-Bone on BK. We got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN coming up at 2 o'clock. We'll give things over to the fast lane, but right now we're headed over to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the voice of the blues. He's Chris Kerber here on the show. Curves, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll get to tonight's game against Vegas here in just a moment, but first I want to look back to Monday night's game with you because that was one of the best performances that I have personally seen by Jordan Bennington in a Blues uniform. Game seven is one that will immediately go to the top of that list. But where did that one rank for you, Curbs, in terms of the Jordan Bennington performances that you've been able to witness? Well, it, it, it was definitely up there as one of his good ones. But uh, I'll tell you what, there, you make so much of what he did in, in game seven against Boston and frankly, that whole playoff series. He had some absolutely outstanding games. I, I mean, Played an entire, you know, from what January seventh on of that nineteenth season, very much like we saw the other night. And then he's had good games like that along the way. I mean, I go back to maybe that Colorado series from two years ago, and he had a couple in there. And what's encouraging, it just shows you how they've got a clutch goaltender. They've got a goaltender that can get the job done. And and they needed him. They needed him for that one on Monday night. They're going to need him again tonight. But he, he was just outstanding and. You know, the players in the locker room today were saying that Craig Berube said it. It just gave the team in front of them confidence. He he really was terrific. So, Curb, speaking of that confidence, we've seen Nashville go on a win streak, Arizona go on a win streak, uh, Minnesota's in the midst of a winning streak, and in the last seven for the Blues, it's been a win, a loss, a win, a loss. What do you think the importance is for this team to really go on at least some type of three- to five-game win streak? They're going to have to do it at some point in time. Otherwise, you end up falling out of the playoff uh, race. Uh, you know, 500 hockey, just three games over 500, it isn't going to be good enough to do it. Now, it's a tough opponent tonight to try and get to that four games over 500 mark, which they haven't been since the end of the year two seasons ago, right? Um, but they are going to have to get there. And tonight's the kind of game that can propel you onto it because if, if you get this one, you're going into Columbus with great confidence. And then you've got Chicago, you know, coming after that. So, You know, from that standpoint, you can find yourself on a four-game win streak. And you know, like when you look at their last eight games, they're they're five and three. You know, in their last eight games, that's 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 not too bad. But like you said, with with the way Nashville has kind of really found their mojo and gotten things going, with Minnesota going on a run since the coaching change, things have really tightened up here. Arizona's current five-game win streak had, I mean, and to think think about this. It took Arizona a five-game win streak to get to one point over the St. Louis Blues. Yeah. Right? I mean, so you slide a couple, you slip five, six points, it could take you a month to get back. So it's, I do think it's going to be critical, obviously, Alex, at some point in time. And I'm not saying that it has to be right at this moment, but somewhere you're going to have to match what those other teams have done. Curbs, I am curious, when you think about the Blues and what they've done this year, they're 12-0 and this year when they get the first goal, they – I have not won a game, though, when the other team scores first since the first week of the season. Why do you think that is? What's leading to that? Yeah, I, I think it's because more so on the second one when they've allowed the first goal, they've allowed the second one fairly quick. They, they've allowed a second one but before they tie the game up kind of thing, which has happened more times than not. So, uh it's an interesting, I mean, such a different stat, isn't it? I mean, it's just so lopsided in both ways. In comparison, you know, like like when Vegas scores first, they're great. They're 11-1-2. But they're 5-4-3 when the other team scores first. 
a little bit of a, and, and what some of the guys were talking about was the fact that it's, you know, sometimes maybe putting too much pressure on themselves, getting away from the team game that they've got to play to be successful in order to try and score. Sometimes when you cheat for offense, you give up defense, and that's exactly kind of what this team has done. So I think they've recognized that, BK. They, they just haven't uh, – they, they haven't been tested too much, uh, you know, along those lines and trying to fix it there. But like I said, you go back to that Arizona game, it wasn't just that they gave up the first goal of the game to, to the Arizona Coyotes. It was they couldn't tie it up before Schmaltz made it 2 nothing, And then you give the other quick goal by Michelli at the end of that period that made it 3 nothing, And then it's too much to chase. And I looked this up like – as much as come from behind, you know, and, and the rules that have changed that, that kind of allows teams to come from behind, or so we believe, right now, this season, as of today, when teams are leading after two periods of play, they've got a record of 261, 24 losses, or 26 overtime losses. It's basically a points percentage of 881 if you're leading after two periods. You've got to be close after two periods to give yourself a chance. Uh, speaking of that being close, Curbs, at least in these last couple of games, we've seen the Blues generating offense, mostly from these odd man rushes, but they've been trading odd man rushes the other way, specifically Monday with that uh, first period. You're on the road. You talk to the coaching staff. How do they feel about trading those odd man rushes in games? Well, I think one of the things that Craig Berube has been happy with the most this season is they really haven't given up a lot of odd man rushes. They did in the last game, you're right, but that hasn't been the MO of this team so far. In the games, like maybe that game against the LA Kings, you know, they did. So you can see how this team is built. You can see how this team is designed to play, right? And and if they're going to turn the puck over at the blue line, you know, or that turnover, for example, by Robert Thomas that led to the Butchnevich tripping penalty, Plays, you know, that are just not great hockey plays at the time, you know, you're going to give up those rushes. It's something that the Blues really don't think that they or I'm sorry, they feel they've been really good at limiting them. They know why it's happening when they do give them up. Now, on the flip side, they're also getting odd man rushes, and they're actually producing as one of the best teams in the league off the rush. So um, it, it's a key. I mean, every time we've talked to Craig Maruby, about what he likes about his team because we really aren't giving up a lot of odd man rushes. So I, I think if you see a lot of odd man rushes, they're not playing the way that uh, that their coach wants them to play. Curves, we're looking forward to tonight's call. Blues versus the Vegas Golden Knights. Should be a good one out there at Enterprise Center. All the best to you, and we'll talk with you again next week, my man. All right, guys. Have a great week. You got Curves. Chris Curve, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. You'll hear him on the call. 8 o'clock, puck drop. 8 o'clock, a little bit later than normal for a home game here on 101 ESPN. Alex will have your pregame coverage for that one starting at 7. Alex, I did a little deep dive uh, quickly while we had him on uh, the show with us. He mentioned how they, they seem to give up that second goal quickly after the first one. Has happened five times this year in this stretch where the Blues give up the first goal and then almost immediately give up the second one again to go down 2-0. So against Winnipeg, they allowed two goals in a combined 20 seconds. Vancouver, two goals in one minute. Nashville, two goals in 20 seconds. The Kings, two goals in 30 seconds. And then against Colorado, it was a little bit longer, but two goals in three minutes. When you're getting down 2 nothing like that, and it's a stretch of boom, 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 got goals coming out of being down one zero is one thing. 
being down 2-0 as quickly as they have been, that's another thing entirely. You can't be allowing goals back-to-back and basically the next shift yep. after that first one. Well, and that's why you need a stopper line. I mean, nine times this season, I had this on postgame Monday night, they've given up multiple goals, sometimes three goals in a three-minute span yep. this season. So they, when they give up one, they give up at least three. And the problem for the Blues is they don't have that stopper line to go to. They had it there for a while, but Jake Neighbors has been promoted, and we're going to talk about this on pregame tonight, but the importance of a stopper line for a team to be able and say, like, okay, go out there and win the faceoff, win that faceoff, but then force it into the offensive zone and go to work. Go behind the net, hold on to the puck, force the other team to have to make a line shift. You don't have that right now, but you also need your goaltender to make a couple of saves in those situations. And then in those games, those second or third goals, it's either been a high danger scoring chance that the Blues just turned the puck over, or it's been a goal that you're like, yikes, you needed the goalie to make that save. He's Alex S. T-Bone on BK. We'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind with the biggest, most interesting thing that Ollie Marmel had to say yesterday at his media availability. Are the Cardinals getting ready to trade one of their second basemen? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Let's hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. Alex, there was one quote that stood out to me yesterday from Ollie Marmel as he was talking with the assembled media out at winter meetings. It was something that he said about the the middle infield, and specifically at second base. He said what their plans were at shortstop and in the outfield. Here's what he said when asked about second base. It depends on how a lot of other things play out over the next couple months leading into. So we'll see what our roster looks like, but both of those guys do a really nice job. It depends on what our roster looks like. He didn't say that in the outfield. They've said, no, we're not trading uh, Lars Newpaw. We're not trading uh, Goldie. We're not trading on Arnado. It sure doesn't sound like they're shutting that down from the second base conversations. Alex, do you think the Cardinals are legitimately considering a trade that would involve one of Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan? I, I think they are considering it, and I don't know why they're considering it other than if they're going to be able to get that high leverage starting pitcher. But here's the thing. I don't know if Dylan Cease is going to go for it from what we talked about earlier today. So does that mean you're going bigger fish? Does that mean you're going to Seattle and trying to get Logan Gilbert away? Because if you're not getting a Logan Gilbert or Dylan Cease, if you're not getting a legit guy who looks like a one, then there's no point in trading them unless they know something that we don't about one of those players. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, you're trying to acquire probably Cease in this deal, or you're looking at a Gilbert, or maybe even Miami, go down to Miami and look for like a Jesus Lazardo. Um, that would be the only reason you trade a Nolan Gorman, but it definitely sounds like they're still kicking the tires on the idea of trading him and trying to improve the rotation. You don't say that unless it's at least under consideration. I also think that it is interesting that they have added so much middle infield depth. They're doing so in the Rule 5 draft. That's not a huge deal, but it's just a continuation of a trend. They also added multiple middle infielders at the trade deadline this year. It sure seems to me that they are setting themselves up in a way where if they end up trading somebody from their middle infield, they have the depth to be able to cover for it. So I find that to be very interesting, and I do think that it is something that we should continue to 
monitor. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. You can also join in on the holiday spirit by helping out 101 ESPN. We're supporting Operation Food Search throughout the month of December, and we've partnered with STL Shirt Company in order to offer some of the 101 ESPN online merch store offerings that include T-shirts, hoodies, hats, and so much more. Plus, we brought out back some of your favorite designs, including the Dunk shirt, the Be Patient shirt, so much more. Oh, again, 101ESPN.com. That is where you go to find it. The online merch store is powered by McBride Homes. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.